Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, January 10, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. I would greet the Royal Rev of radio, but he's making repairs this morning. Some of the systems, you can imagine um, the wind affected or impacted our ability to broadcast for the duration. I think we're off the air a couple or several hours yesterday afternoon. Uh, some of the power has been restored. Some of the issues remain. And if I'm not mistaken, the Royal Rev of Radio is um, out back. Am I right? Yep. I mean, he's that's a... pretty generic, out back, trying to um, get some other things resituated uh, since the storm made its way through. Wind's still blowing uh, pretty hard out here. Did you ever lose power, Josh? No. There was a down power line in my neighborhood, but it, it only made the lights flicker for a second. Yeah, we lost power at about 440-ish. Got power restored at about 6.30-ish, um, somewhere thereabout. Thank you to Duke Energy. Thank you to uh, Marlboro Pity Electric Co-op for their diligent work in um, getting people's power restored as soon as possible. number of traffic lights were out uh, and creates a bit of chaos and confusion. I never knew. I'll ask you this, Josh. You're a younger driver. What is the right thing to do when you come to a stoplight and no power's there, so none of the lights are functioning. I mean, what what is what is proper driving protocol? What is the law? It's not protocol, it's the law. What are you to do if you come to a stoplight and the stoplight is not functioning? I would imagine that it, it kind of operates like a four-way stop sign. Bingo. Bingo. Some people believe that their road is the quote-unquote busiest road Therefore, they've got the, the right-of-way. That's not the case. I'm coming out of a neighborhood, and you, and you got a, a, a main thoroughfare. Everybody is to treat that situation as if it were a four-way stop. And um, I noticed yesterday when I was out and about after 4.30, when some places were beginning to lose uh, power, I noticed it was um, kind of a premonition. If it's a busier road, then I've got the right-of-way. That's not um, the case it is, and I'm surprised you got that right. It's a four-way stop. It's to be treated as a four-way um, stop. It'd be kind of a, um, it'd be a hard pill to swallow to get a ticket, though, you know, because I don't. How many people knew that? I mean, did you guess or did you know that? I assume. Okay, you assumed. You didn't yeah. know that. I mean, I didn't know that. I actually Googled, you know, what to do in the event you have a traffic light that is out because of, you know, per sporadic or widespread power failure. And it said, treat it as a four-way a four-way stop. Some did, some did not. Some make, made the assumption, as you did, that this is a busier road. The lot stays green longer. Therefore, I have the privilege of, um, of right-of-way, not, um, not the case. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, we're back on the air, I think, uh, everywhere. I think we're back in Sumter. I think the stream is working. I think we're obviously on in Florence. I'll tell you how little I know about what we do here. Um, I don't know the call letters in Sumter. I don't know the frequency. I don't know the call letters here. I mean, I know the frequency, 95.3, but I don't know what the uh, what the call letters are. Rev will be here in a couple of minutes after um, making one last, I don't know, uh, circuit to make sure everything is working as it should. But best I can tell, um, all of our stations are back on the air. We're back in business and I do want to thank, um, and I mean this sincerely, um, it's frustrating when you lose power, but but I want to thank Duke Energy and Marlboro Pity Electric Co-op um, for all their stellar work 
and being prepared, being ready, and getting power back on. There were a number of, I was watching some weather report yesterday. I couldn't get to uh, my WMBF television, so I went online and I was watching weather underground. I don't know, one of the um, one of these weather networks. And the guy had a, like a quarter zip. And he was in, you ready? It was like tailgating at the Carolina Clemson game for him. I mean, he's a meteorologist. And he said, and I quote, you ready? These supercells are getting, they're getting itchy. What the hell do you mean they're getting itchy? What does that mean? I mean, they were off the coast of South Carolina. He actually called Pauley's Island, Litchfield by name, Charleston, Georgetown, Myrtle Beach by name. Talked about how many people vacationed there. Many of our, many of my viewers have vacationed down there. You know, you're familiar with the area, but I'm telling you, there's about two or three or four of these cells situated off the coast and they're getting itchy. I mean, they're getting itchy. Oh, what do you mean they're getting itchy? I mean, he was just so excited about, you know, reporting on potential bad weather. I don't think, I mean, I'm not crazy enough to believe that he's wishing ill on anybody and hope somebody's property gets destroyed. I certainly don't believe that, but they wait for these moments when these weird systems, you know, converge. And that's what happened yesterday. There was some weirdness in the air. Um, you ready? Storm fuel was abundant yesterday, says um, Andrew Dockery and Jamie Arnold at MWMBF. And I'll say this. Um, I mean, they, they are our associates. We are now partners with WMBF. Those guys work hard. I mean, I, I don't keep up with enough to know if they do a better job than the other networks. But they work hard. I mean, they, they're very consistently on Facebook, on Twitter, on television. I mean, it's every 20 minutes, every 30 minutes, every four. I mean, they've got update after update. If something breaks, you know, they'll, 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 hey, our, our 30, forget our 30 minute update. I mean, here's what's happened. And here's why we've got to update again. And they just, um, I mean, they're very prepared and passionate about letting you know. Um, but there is some excitement when these weird systems make their way. Uh, it's a little bit like a football. If you're a golfer and you see a hole in one, I mean, you really don't care who hit the hole in one. You witness the hole in one. Kind of an excitement in the air. Um, the um, the sails off the coast of South Carolina. I'm telling you, they're getting itchy. I mean, they're they're getting itchy. Okay, okay. If you say so. Storm fuel was abundant, is what I know. Is somebody on the phone? Yes. Let's go there. Good morning, Ref. Hey, good morning. Yeah. Are we, everything good? I just came in and sat down. Yeah, everything was good with this station. I had uh, two other little issues I'm still dealing with out there. So. Still dealing with? Yep, for, okay. for some of the other stations. But Wake Up Carolina, I think, is loud and proud across the state as it uh, as it normally is. We're loud. At times, we're proud. Right. <laughs> uh, Vert is on the phone first thing this morning. Good morning, Vert. Good morning. And uh, we're always proud of y'all, Ken and uh, Dave. And uh, we're... Uh, you know, we did weather the storm pretty good. I did hear one fatality, I think, up in uh, North Carolina near Catawba, uh, a trailer park that was hit. Uh, two other people were severely injured. But anyway, we weathered it much better, I think, than we thought or the projections were. Uh, five days out from the Iowa caucus, which is uh, on everybody's mind, particularly political minds like uh, the two of y'all and myself and a lot of other people, uh, President Trump, I think, is going to win in a large way on uh, next Monday night. And I think, uh, as Ken believes, and I also believe, I think that's the end of the line for uh, Ms. Haley and uh, Mr. DeSantis. I don't think they'll ever recover from the loss they're going to take next Monday. Uh, poll out yesterday on Nevada. President Trump's got a 65-point lead on DeSantis in Nevada. 
that's the third uh, step of the uh, election process for president uh, under Republican uh, nominating process. And I just think it's going to be, uh, you know, the next five days is going to be a great week, a great five days for President Trump. I think he's going to make uh, several appearances. Uh, Tonight he's going to be on Fox at 9 doing a uh, town hall for one hour. And it should be interesting, I think, uh, if you're a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter, you need to watch the one-hour uh, call tonight on Fox with President Trump. Thank you, Vert. Appreciate that. Yeah, competing broadcast tonight. You've got a two-person GOP debate on CNN with DeSantis and and Haley. And on Fox, you've got Trump doing a town hall uh, by himself. So, I mean, tonight is when we begin contemplating, is the race about three people? I mean, to me, the race is about one person. Trafalgar released a poll yesterday out of Iowa that has Donald Trump plus 34. But there's some general polls out there, some general election polls that have Trump up seven or eight in in Michigan. I mean, it's just, um, I've got this crazy theory I was thinking about a bit yesterday in the dark with no power. Um, and I'll ask Josh. Josh, we can, we can kind of chew on this together. But is, I mean, it, we're arguing that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, does not apply. Now, now, I think there's a fair debate about does it exclude the president from, you know, I mean, does the Constitution protect the president from the treatment normal people, non-presidents would, would deal with? I mean, that, that's a fair debate. That's an interpretation of the Constitution. Um, I just don't think anything in the Constitution allows the violation of due process and equal protection under the law. I mean, I think that's a fundamental. That's a bedrock in America. Um, I mean, I think scholars can debate what exactly applies to the president, what doesn't. I mean, Trump's debating immunity in Washington now. I mean, there's a lawsuit. I don't know if you saw this or not. The question asked yesterday of the president's lawyer, can a former president assassinate a political opponent? I mean, if he's got blanket immunity, if no rules apply, and I mean, that's kind of a, that's a weird way to frame the debate. I understand what he's getting at. I mean, if, if Trump's arguing that the president, I mean, the rules that apply to everybody else don't apply to the president because he's the president, then can, can the president kill someone? You know, can, can he assassinate his political opponent? I mean, that's an extreme argument to make, but I understand it. I think there's a very legitimate debate to be made about whether the 14th Amendment, Section 3 in particular, apply to the president. I think that is a scholarly debate. I think there could be smart people disagree on that. I don't know how you can believe that if you're not charged, much less convicted, with the crime listed in the 14th Amendment, insurrection, rebellion against your government, I don't know how you don't defer to equal protection under the law or due process. I just don't. I, I think I don't know how you debate that. I mean, once again, I'll give the debate on immunity. I'll give the debate on does it apply to the president or not. Some will argue it doesn't. Some will argue it does. We have a lot of arguments in America. Some are legitimate. Some are not. I think that's a legitimate argument. I don't think it's legitimate to say that the guy's not been charged or convicted with insurrection, but we're not going to let him run because our interpretation of the Constitution says he's an insurrectionist. Am I making sense here? I mean, I just think that's, that's, that's an assault on one of the bedrocks of our nation, that everybody is innocent to found guilty. And you can't convict somebody if you don't charge somebody. I mean, you're almost, uh, you're, it's the other extreme that the president is to be treated differently than anybody. Everybody else gets due process and equal protection. The president doesn't because we got this 14th Amendment. That's not what the 14th Amendment's about. The 14th Amendment is about allowing an insurrectionist or someone who has rebelled against his government to, to run for office. Here's the point I want to make this morning. 
and this is out there a bit, I believe in our subconscious, a large plurality of Americans, I'm not saying a majority, I'm not comfortable saying that, but I think a large plurality of Americans hope they're voting for an insurrectionist. They kind of, sort of, I mean, they would never say, yeah, the reason I'm voting for Trump is because I believe he's an, an insurrectionist. I think there's a large portion of Americans who are so frustrated with the government, it's almost like a badge of honor. Give me the privilege to vote for someone that you believe is an insurrectionist. In fact, I think he may be, uh, it, I'll ask this in a weirder way, Rev. Josh, aren't we all right now to some degree insurrectionist? I mean, aren't we in the weirdest way imaginable rebelling against our government, trying to overthrow our current state of government? I mean, in the weirdest way, I'm taking a loose translation of the word insurrectionist. But aren't we, how many of you will admit that a lot of your mo motivation is Trump is a quasi-insurrectionist? I mean, I'm not arguing that January 8th was an insurrection. I don't think it was. It was a riot that got too rowdy, went bad, people went to jail, a lot of overcharging, teach you a lesson. You don't do that here. Um, you could burn the streets in Denver and Seattle and Portland, but you're not doing that here. I mean, this is our house. Forget what the people's house and the founders and all that. This is our house, and you don't come to our house and do that. Uh, what is Under Armour? We must protect this house. I mean, that's kind of their, their slogan. But in the weirdest way imaginable, in our, in our warped and distorted minds, aren't we kind of all involved in somewhat of an insurrection? And aren't we a little bit proud that we're involved in a campaign and candidate whose primary attraction is to upset the apple cart? to turn things upside down? I mean, are you voting for Trump specifically on policy? I mean, I think he's got good policy, but there are a lot of Republicans that have good policy. Nobody embodies or symbolizes, you ready, an insurrection like DJT does. And I do believe in our warped sensibilities, we're, we're kind of attracted to that. It's a weirdness, but I do believe that, yeah, he's kind of an insurrectionist. I am too. Let's rebel. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. You buying or selling my theory that we're all entranced with the idea of being a part of an insurrection? Nobody wants to go to jail for being an insurrectionist. Nobody wants trouble for trying to overthrow the government. If we believe this, I mean, this would be kind of a, um, I mean, this would be a segue. Remember yesterday when I said that the modern radical movement within the Democrat Party, and I'm careful to not say every Democrat. I think that's totally unfair to say every Democrat. The radical liberals within the Democrat Party who have a loud voice, a very loud voice, and have created probably more problems for Democrats than advantages, and I'll give an example with BlackRock here in just a few moments, um, but they are, it's not about the rule of law, it's the rule of power. Well, I mean, if, if, if it's not about the rule of law, but rather the rule of power, isn't that requiring an insurrection? I mean, if, in other words, if, um, if you go into a bar and you know the guy wants to fight, he's got brass knuckles, and at the end of the bar, there's a couple of sets of brass knuckles. I mean, you know the guy's going to fight. He's got brass knuckles on each hand. Do you walk toward him without putting the brass knuckles on your hand? 
Or do you put, isn't that the intrigue with Trump? But isn't that why we kind of find ourselves supportive of Donald Trump? We believe whether we're right or not, he's somewhat of a fighter. He's a brawler. He'll turn it into a street fight if you give him an opportunity. Well, I mean, if, if it's not about the rule of law, but rather the rule of power. Well, who makes the laws? Well, I mean, the people with power. But but how do you get power? I mean, you have you, to win elections. Well, do you? <laughs> you? That's the way I mean, it's do, supposed do to you? work, right? I mean, do you do you have to win elections to amass power? Um, how many elections did BlackRock won? How many elections did Pfizer win? I don't know if you saw this or not, but Fauci said, I can't recall, over 100 times yesterday. In his transcribed interview, day two will be today, but yesterday, the guy that knows everything that said, I am science. I mean, nobody disputes me. Science and Fauci are one of the same. I mean, he sits behind closed doors, answers questions from a Republican majority in the House of Representatives and says, I don't recall. I can't recall over a hundred times and they're drilling in. So, so to your point, Reb, I mean, are you, are you asking, are you suggesting that we don't play in the gray, that we just do things by the book? I mean, after all, Reb, it's the rule of law. I think that's the mistake the Republicans have historically made. There's a lot of gray in politics. There's a lot of squishiness in politics and we've decided historically not to go there. But that, that's forbidden. I mean, we're the party of integrity and virtue and, and honor, and we're not doing any of that. And, and the argument I'm trying to make is maybe this is kind of a, um, a rejuvenation of the grand old party. Maybe part of the rejuvenation is our embracing somewhat of an insurrectionist. And I'm not saying technically. I mean, I think there's the spirit of insurrection. Let me ask you this, Josh. I know you're working. Let me ask you this. January 6th was not an insurrection. Agree or disagree? I agree. Did January 6th exhibit some of the characteristics of an insurrection? Was yes. January 6th insurrection-like? Uh, yeah, kind okay. of. Okay, you say no. I say no. Okay, what, what, what would an insurrection look like? Uh, insurrection would require, I would think, weapons. Okay, but, but I didn't say an insurrection. Right. I said, was it like right. an insurrection? Was it, was, it, was it an exhibition of an attempt to, okay, let's say no, it this it, way. It was a protest, which is completely. But, but was it intended to obstruct an official proceeding that included the peaceful transfer of power? I don't know. I don't know what the intentions of the people that went into the building. You know, there was obviously some vandalism, some people entering places that they shouldn't have. Okay. Certainly have always acknowledged that. Uh, but it was certainly, I think it was intended to be a peaceful protest. So when, when, when Donald Trump says that Mike Pence, see, you can't have it both ways. I mean, either you want this or you don't. Either you want aggressive in-your-face politics back at you, radical leftist, or you don't. And I think we do until it happens. And like, I don't know if I want that or not. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a little bit funky and freaky. Let me ask you this. Okay. When Trump says... Pence didn't have the courage to do the right thing. Your interpretation of that is what? <laughs> I think it's exactly what he said. He wanted Pence to send the results back to the states to recertify the results out of each state. Hmm. So they were trying to obstruct through the, course the official of what, proceeding of certifying an election. Through the course of what he believed was a legal, a legal matter, a legal way you. to do you it. You know I'm with you. Yep. I'm just playing this thing out. And let me ask we, you this. We, what Was it an insurrection when the people gathered in the lobby in the hallways of the Capitol when they were trying to 
conduct the hearings for Judge Kavanaugh. No, I think it's obstructing a proceeding. Okay. But but it resembles an insurrection. So Insurrection-like, like you said. Dave, I think what Ken is trying to say is that on a technical legal level, like if we're in court, was this an insurrection? No, that's no. what you're saying. But this has the underpinnings of it. It was at its core trying to undo some the movements of the establishment. It was an answer to, okay, the rule of law will eventually trump, pun intended. But right now, the rule of power is what I'm consumed with. And I'm tired of being on the short end of that stick. I'm tired of the radical Democrats, you know, storming the state capitals in protest of, um, remember Scott Walker at the teachers union in Wisconsin. I mean, that got real crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was obstructing an official proceeding, but I don't think it was an insurrection. And especially I mean, if it, you it, felt like the, the results of the 2020 election were in question, you had some questions. And any time that you tried to raise those questions in public, you were shot down. You were, you know, you weren't allowed to say, you weren't allowed to ask. You, I mean, things were um, banned on social media for being said. I mean, you were ridiculed. And you, you might be a legitimate, reasonable person. That I mean, I consider us reasonable. And uh, we had legitimate concerns and things we were trying to point out. And people didn't want to hear it. Josh, how you were would told you, to shut up? I hear you, and and, and that builds frustration. Right. I mean, it does, and you know, I'm not allowed to express my opinion for fear of some sort of retribution. So, Josh, how would you? I mean, if given the opportunity in front of a million people, independent voters in five swing states, how would you articulate January six? I mean, what what would be your explanation? I mean, if Josh is sitting in front of a um, you know, an audience, and the audience is a million people, and the million people are not politicos. I mean, they're they're not affiliates. They're they're not ironclad Republicans or diehard Democrats. I mean, they're the Seinfeld watcher. How would you explain to them what happened January 6th? I think what happened on January 6th was that it was very clear that there was some funny business going on with uh, the election of Joe Biden. How is that, Josh? I'm in I'm in row nine. What do you mean, Josh? Funny business. Anybody <laughs> can stand clear. up there What's and say, theory? funny business? Well, what do you mean, Josh? Okay, so statistically, Trump had a huge, like, a, a big lead, an almost insurmountable lead, and they stopped the counting, and then at four in the morning, they started the counting again in all these swing states without telling anybody, and then all of a su- sudden, Joe Biden's numbers, boop, go up. And again, and, you know, in hindsight, there was some election, uh, there were some things in the midterms that kind of insinuate that this is this, this, uh, the statistical what, anomalies I'm talking about. T- t- statistical anomalies are ongoing. And basically, it, to me, the evidence is present. And to a lot of Americans, it seemed obvious that the election was rigged. But, Josh, and, do you believe that gave people the right to kick the doors down and bust the windows out and, by the police officers? It doesn't give them the right to. I mean, that is technically a crime, but that, well, you know, the uh, the founding fathers, what gave them the, the right to throw tea into the Boston Harbor? You're basically arguing that it's not the rule of law, but rather the rule of power. I'm embracing that. I think the Republicans don't need to celebrate January 6th, but you need to explain it. Yeah. Remember yesterday when I said, I've always believed that every day Trump talked about January 6th or the 2020 election was a day he's losing. He needs to be talking about inflation. 
He needs to talk, be talking about immigration and border security. He wins that clearly. I mean, the polls emphatically show the American people do not trust Biden with the economy. The American people do not trust Biden with immigration. I don't know that Trump loses 100% if he begins developing some narrative of January 6th, some narrative of the 2020 election. I've seen polling. I mean, I've seen the, the, the number of people who believe January 6th was a quasi-insurrection is less than it was three years ago. I mean, it's in decline, but you've got to create some sort of narrative. That's why I put you on the, on the spot. You've got an audience. Here are, the, here are the couple of hundred thousand people we need, right? I mean, if you're a Republican, here's the 200,000 people. And Trump's talking about January 6th, and he's talking about the 2020 election. He's got to, we collectively have to figure out a way to explain ourselves to those 200,000 people. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Lynn in MacBee. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I, talking about this insurrection, one man just, he keeps coming up and he keeps coming up. Uh, Ray Epps, uh, the guy wearing the Trump hat, the guy dressed real nice, uh, leading leading the whole insurrection. Uh, and, and for some reason, this man hasn't been charged or anything. And it, it really doesn't make any sense because he's, you know, he's televised more than anybody other than the charmer. And uh, he's the one that uh, talked people into, you know, taking the barriers down. He was on the megaphone or whatever, telling people, "You, we got to go into the Capitol." And uh, I, I feel like this man is either undercover CIA or FBI, and it—he's just, you know, he's mostly forgot about. What do you? How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I, th- thank you. Appreciate the call. Um, I just feel like. I mean, there are two debates. There's a debate to win the election, and then there's a debate to completely and totally understand what happened January 6th. I think they're exclusive of one another. I think you lose when you try to explain exactly what happened, all the nuances. Pelosi did this. The Capital City Police did that. Christopher Ray wouldn't answer this question. Uh, Ray Epps, a guy that shows up time and time again on the videos, and, and he's escaped some sort of punishment. All these other, you know, um... Hey, seeds, I mean, they are being overcharged. I mean, I, I just think, I, I don't think, what, what does Thick Pin say? Don't underestimate the intelligence of the voter. Don't overestimate their interest. I still think you've got to boil it down to winning independence. And I think when you start talking about Ray Epps and he's a, he's a spy and he's a, he's an infiltrator, I think the independent go, I don't, I don't know, man. I didn't read that book. Didn't watch that movie. Uh, not real interested in that storyline. Um, I think the way Josh did it is the best way to do it. Uh, to, to Lynn's point, Lynn would be somewhat of a political junkie. I would be somewhat of a political junkie. It 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 chaps me to know that some of these hayseeds are being overcharged, and some of the instigators are not going to face the. I mean, they're just not. That's just that, that that you're on the good team. I'm on the bad team. I mean, that's just the the nature of the beast. What what I'm talking about is how to win in 2020. Because, guys, if Trump wins in 16 unexpectedly and he loses in 20 and we question the outcome of the election, 
And by 2024, enough people wonder whether he legitimately lost in 2020 that they're willing to give him another shot in 24. I mean, that's that's fundamentally a sustainable political movement. So, so you know, in the macro, I don't want to get too caught up on Ray Epps or, or overcharge or undercharge. Once again, the, the illustration I gave with Josh standing in front of 100,000 or however many there are, 150,000 independent voters that will determine who the next president is, that's that's the narrative you got to sell. I mean, you're not going to convince Democrats that Ray Epps was an infiltrator. You're not going to convince uh, hardcore Republicans he was not. You're not going to convince independents, excuse me, into, uh, uh, hardcore Democrats that the, the hayseeds were overcharged. I mean, you, they, they got what they deserved. I mean, most of my Democrat friends uh, aren't radical, but they believe those guys got what they deserve. They should never have been there doing what they were doing. Now, I think once you're privileged to the video that Pelosi and the J6 Commission decided to keep private, I mean, I think you're a little more open-minded about it. But, but I still go back to the narrative of the hardcore Republican, the narrative of the hardcore Democrat, are not the same narrative that you're trying to sell to the 150 or so thousand people in about four states that will decide who the president is. And I think those voters at some point in time in the next 11 months are going to want to understand where do they land on J6? Where do they land on the election was stolen? And it's got to be a coherent narrative. And I don't think you run away from, um, I mean, the, the, the Trump voter will probably, I mean, Rev didn't, and Rev's a Trump voter. Rev didn't admit that he kind of sort of wants to be a part of an insurrection. Josh did. I mean, you kind of did, didn't you, Josh? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Totally. But didn't you, I mean, what Rev's doing has been technical. Rev, Rev's saying, hey, once I open that door, you know, it's hard for me to get out of that room. I mean, if I kind of declare myself somewhat yeah. of an insurrectionist, I ain't going there. Josh, younger guy. I'm not afraid of that. You know, if, if they want to label me somewhat of an insurrectionist, because we're all insurrecting. I mean, every Trump voter in America today is a part of an informal. I'm not talking about 14th Amendment. I'm talking about legal. I mean, I think what, what Josh said is very is very accurate when he said, I think the way Ken's trying to explain it, there's a technical definition. There is a legal consequence. And then there's this ambiguous, whatever you want to call it, that we're all a part of. I mean, are you voting for Trump because you believe he's the best qualified? Are you voting for Trump because you believe he has the most dignity? Are you voting for Trump because he's the best politician man has ever known? No. We're voting for Trump because he's a wrecking ball. Let's admit that. Let's embrace that. Let's relish the opportunity to be a part of that. I am on team wrecking ball. I want to tear Washington to hell. Embrace that. But, but I think when you, when you embrace that, it builds enthusiasm amongst the base. But, but you still got to articulate. And the media is going to force you, us, to discuss J6. The media is going to force us to recount, relive, rediscuss the 2020 election. And I think we've got to have coherent talking points. And that's why I wanted this morning to try and create a conversation. Where are we on insurrection? Rev did what any, you know, uh, kind of a technically oriented person would do. I mean, Rev would admit that your father was an accountant. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would be sure. the mindset, hey, I don't want to do that. Um, Josh a little more uh, liberated, being younger. You know, what, what have I got to lose? Yeah, I kind of want to be a part of an insurrection. Um, I, it's a weird debate we're having, and I'll give you a reason that I know um, this matters. 
the Biden team, I mean, there's some reporting out there now in legitimate news services, whatever they are, wherever they are, whoever um, they are, there's still a few out there trying to do a decent enough job. I mean, they're liberal, but they're not liars. I mean, the majority are liberal and liars. There are a few out there who are liberal, but not quite liars yet. Um, nobody's paid them. Nobody's put them on a board. Nobody's, you know, promised them a big advertising package on their 30-minute CNN show. But, um, but there are a few out there. Anyway, there's some reporting out there now. I'll try to find the story in the next hour. But there's some reporting out there now that the Biden administration is meeting pretty regularly with some of these prominent journalists. And they're beginning to tell the journalist, they're beginning to tell the journalist, hey, um, you remember when you we, we told you a year ago to continue to highlight J6 in the 2020 election? It's not working as well as we thought it would. <laughs> so let's go back to some other strategies. I, I want to find that story. It's an interesting story that shows the majority of journalists are leftist and liars. There, Once again, there's a few out there that are simply leftist, um, but, but they have been periodically meeting with the Biden administration because that makes sense, right? Right? I mean, the, you know, the, 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 the domain of the public trust held by journalists who meet time and time again, mm-hmm. not on the record, not, not in the press corps, but they go to the office of some of these Democrat surrogates and get, hey, we're not clear on what our marching yeah, orders I are. I would say the, the bad part is not the meeting, because I'm sure there's meetings all sure. the time amongst all people in all administrations in the press. The problem is do as you're told. Yeah. And they do it. We, we're not clear on our marching orders. Would you please make them more or make them more clear? Take a break. Back in a few. You know, one of the uh, one of one of the questions you can ask yourself. One of the one of the one of one of one of one, one of the questions you can ask yourself is it's, uh, the 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 mouth is awake, the brain uh, not quite yet. Getting there, but not quite there yet. Got me a, a Celsius, a life water, and a cup of um a cup of Java wow. here this morning. Watch out! Yeah, two hundred <laughs> grams of um of caffeine, but it doesn't have the poison that some of the other risks says, don't say that, man. I'm not sure you can say that and get away with it. <laughs> I don't call the other brands by name, but of the other um, drinks that give you kind of a burst of energy, and I mean, this accelerates metabolism, um, and, I, and I mean this sincerely. I've read enough about these drinks. I mean, you, you know me. I mean, I'm going to read about it and try to better understand the science behind it. Is it marketing? Is it a ploy? Uh, well, I mean, there's always marketing and a ploy behind it, trying to get you to buy their product. But um, but the Celsius is by far the best and most healthy. I didn't say it's healthy. I said it's the most healthy of all. I don't know if there's anything healthy about pumping 200 grams of caffeine in your body in a single indulgence. Uh, but, but but it's far better for you than some of the alternative um, choices are. And I'll tell you, you ain't worked out until you drink yourself a Celsius right before your workout. Turns you into Batman. <laughs> I mean, it really, well, there you it, go. really, it really and truly does. And I, one day on the air, I said, some of these other drinks have poison. And Rev got real concerned about, it. we don't need litigation, man. I mean, I don't know that they have poison in them, <laughs> but Celsius is clearly the best choice for the, uh, for the energy drinks. I'm not a big fan of energy drinks, but I'm a huge fan of Celsius. That's a better way to endorse. Not a big fan of energy drinks, but a huge fan of Celsius um, nonetheless. And our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. They provide us with product here, Rev, for our guest. They do. Got a big cooler outside they with Pepsi on it, yep. and they've um, always been very supportive of what we of what we do here. Local radio, local media, 
um, local business, kind of supporting one another. I want to go back because I think I made you a bit not 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 confused, but interested. Okay, what is it about this? And I told Rev because Rev says, man, one of the fundamental reasons I support Trump is I just feel like that that everything's working against me. I mean, I feel like all the all the the the, the elite universities are on the same sheet of music. I mean, it's basically Rev versus the cathedral, <laughs> right? I mean, that's how it you feels feel. like it sometimes. But but it's it's worse than that, Rev. It's not that you're in opposition or your belief system is opposed fundamentally um, to the cathedral. And I'm talking about BlackRock and Vanguard and J.P. Morgan and the body politic and the consultants and the lobbyists and all these other forces of power, some nefarious, some not. I mean, there are some genuinely good-spirited organizations on the, on the center stage of amassing political influence and power, but Rev, your frustration, and I'm reading your mind here. I mean, I, I'm not qualified, but I'm going to do it anyway. Your frustration is driven by the fact that you believe your opinion has been shut down. Not only do you have a different opinion than elite universities, not only do you have a different opinion than the Ivy Leaguers running the government agencies, or you have an opinion that is not allowed to be in the public domain. I mean, that, that's, that's, I think that's fair. That's the anger. Yep. I mean, that, that's the frustration that morphs into anger. So I'll ask our, our good friends out there who have a different opinion. How would you feel if the government was, was, was basically evolving into something that you fundamentally disagree with? You're a conservative. You believe in less government, less spending. Well, I mean, we know we're not getting that. We're getting more spending and more government. Not only is the government moving away from the fundamental value system that you believe government should adhere to, you're not allowed to say it. I mean, you, I've given up. On, I'll give you a personal example. There was a day that I, I Facebooked a lot, and I think I was fairly well-spoken in my dissertations. I mean, they, they got a good following. We'd have three or four or 500 likes. Um, I would put something out there about the, you know, Congress or local government or an issue that was front and center. And it went from having 500 likes to less than a hundred likes. And you, that's when you started talking about shadow banning and content moderating and, and whatnot. It's not worth it for me to sit down for an hour and try to clearly think through where I stand. Cause I know my opinion is reflective of a lot of yours. I mean, I understand that I've got a radio show. You don't. But I believe I say things on your behalf. I really and truly believe that. If you want to know what inspires me about getting up at 4.30 in the morning, it is to have this microphone and this opportunity to speak on behalf of not just me, but all of us. But but I remember the day that you started talking about, hey, man, you better be careful with that Facebook post. What do you mean, Rev? I'm a novice of this. I've never been... Uh, you know, a poster on Facebook where it says, well, I mean, you'll get in some category. What do you mean getting a category? Well, it sure enough, it happened. And we were shadow banned. We actually got reprimanded here at the station. Yeah, the, um, the official one of the radio station, the Live 95 Facebook page. And what we did was shared an article from the Washington Times. And that caused us to have all But they these, were on the bad list. Yeah, apparently the so. times were on the bad list. And, and we were by association, so they took away the ability to do any sort of boosting and that kind of thing with our, our page for a long time. So not only is your opinion different than those in power and practicing the art of power, you're not allowed to express your opinion. Your opinion is censored. 
Um, Elon Musk, I don't know if you've heard him say this. Elon said one day, not long ago, that I'm nervous about letting the general public know everything about the relationship the State Department and the White House had with Twitter. But he said it really makes me nervous. I mean, there are things I've discovered as owner now, and he's gone through some of these emails and some of these correspondences, and he said it really makes me nervous. I mean, I saw what people will do on January 6th, and if I were to let them know how closely the government was working to make sure some opinions were amplified, some opinions were censored, he said, I'm afraid of what people would do in reaction um, to that. So when 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 people say, well, I mean, you know, chaos ensues, and are we are we supposed to stand for not only our opinions losing our way of seeing things being on the short end of the stick, but we're not even allowed. Let's instead of left have a debate about big government, small government, low taxes, high taxes, you know, whatever, what electoral college or not. Um, you know, your interpretation fourteen. I mean, there are a lot of debates that are interesting and 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 should take place, but they're not debates. It's one hand clapping. Thank God for Twitter. Thank God for Elon Musk buying Twitter. Imagine the world today if Jack Dorsey still owned Twitter. I mean, Elon's disclosed as much of that as he thinks we can handle. It's a little bit like, you know, um, John on the island of Patmos when, when, uh, or Patmos when, when, when God let him see a little bit of heaven and it blew him away and he couldn't stand it. Elon's basically saying, man, I don't need to let these, I don't need to let these cowboys and outlaws see everything of the way well, the government was working in concert with the media to try and make sure only one opinion is heard. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Well, I tell you, uh, uh, that was that was pretty good. But I, I can assure you, to use one of your words, Ken, that if it unnerves uh, a man like uh, uh, if, if it unnerves a man like that, that it would downright terrify us. Because uh, if it unnerves Musk, it, it's got to be some scary stuff. Because that doesn't seem—he doesn't seem like a man that's easily frightened, and uh, that—that's just a fact of it. But back to—I uh, believe Sam made the comment earlier that uh, you got to be careful about that uh, revolution. You know, like, like French Revolution is a is a good example because you don't know where that enterprising. Uh, officer of artillery is that turns out to be a Napoleon might uh, slip in the mix. But there's enough, uh, there's always been and there always will be, as far as I can tell, uh, uh, scoundrels of every color, race, creed, religion, and uh, political persuasion out there, uh, whether it's a struck or a, a page or whatever that uh, got some snaky insurance policy or whatever, but they recognize immediately the danger of a uh, Trump because uh, he is uh, it, at the very least a courageous man, and uh, he I, I don't think many people could stand the kind of attack that he's been under and what he has risked uh, by uh, attempting to lead this country again. And that that's something that's admirable. It makes him um, almost uh, quasi-heroic in the, in the classical sense because of the forces arrayed against him, and he continues to stand. Uh, that that's terribly impressive, and I think people began to respect that and see that uh, 
he might be a little bit different. And in my point of view, he is the best president in my lifetime, uh, probably since Eisenhower. Maybe is, uh, I think he's probably uh, more courageous than Eisenhower, to tell you the truth. And uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about it, right. oh, except for one thing, one thing. I don't know. I hear Williams talking about that uh, price of gasoline. Well, it, I don't see a dollar seventy-five yet, and I'm not looking to find a dollar seventy-five anytime soon. But I have had to buy a five hundred dollar battery, one of these AGM uh, batteries, uh, recently, and I'm not sure this tech, new technology is all it's cracked up to be. And I wonder when these people are going to become aware that inflation is a tax on all of us and it's kind of it's blistering our feet it's like our feet are held to the fire and they're saying well they're just a little bit blistering on one side wait till they cook through you won't be quite so worried about it well i'm i'm worried about it and i'm experiencing the economic pain right now thank you mike appreciate that remember yesterday when it might have been yesterday, may have been Monday. Today's Wednesday, probably Monday, when we kind of got in the groove. Um, I mean, the first hour on Monday is always kind of a wake-up call. We're slow to get going, and I mean, some would argue we're still slow to get going, even at 9 o'clock on Friday afternoon or Friday morning. We do the best we can. How about that? We try hard. Um, but remember when we kind of discussed the $270 million that Mark Zuckerberg and Francis Chan are spending? And her name, Francis? What's, what's his wife's name? Did I get that right? Um, I don't uh, know. That's not it. Francis yeah, Chan's a, it. He's a street preacher in California that I've um, listened to over <laughs> the years. Um, anyway, uh, Priscilla, Priscilla Chan. Priscilla. Yeah, that, there you go. Uh, anyway, they, they're building a $270 million compound, and of the $270 million, about $100 million is going to build an underground bunker with ventilation and water treatment and all these other um, sorts of upgrades that most people won't need. And somebody asked me, well, at the gym, like, well, what did you mean by that? When you said that, I mean, just pay attention to what these powerful people are doing. And my, my response was these powerful people understand that a lot of people making decisions, Mark Zuckerberg didn't vote. I mean, he funded a lot of shenanigans that I believe affected or influenced the election. But Mark Zuckerberg knows we're not electing the best, brightest, and smart people. I mean, we're just not. We're more interested in diversity and inclusion and equality and all these um, you know, political slogans than we are. Um, how competent is this person? Forget whether they're a man, woman, Baptist, Catholic, Jewish, um, Clemson, Carolina fan. Forget all that. Can they do the job? What qualifications and skills do they have? Well, Zuckerberg spending $100 million on an underground bunker tells me, now I'm a college dropout from a town with no stop lot, tells me that he doesn't have a lot of faith in these people that are going to make big decisions in the next 25 or 30 years to the point of, hey, let's hedge our bets, honey. <laughs> I don't know if that's how big it is, talk or not. That's how we talk. Let's hedge our bets, honey. Of this $270 billion, a million dollar home, let's take $100 million and bury it in the ground. What do you mean bury the money? I'm not talking about burying the money. I'm talking about building a prepper. I'm going to prepper Taj Mahal. And that's what he's doing. I mean, do you believe if Zuckerberg had confidence in, in political leadership around the world, he'd spend $100 million building an underground bumper. He knows they're useful idiots. They're his useful idiots. And once his useful idiots do something so stupid and over the top, 
that the world implodes or explodes or falls upon itself, he goes into that bunker and lives a little longer than everybody else. I mean, pay attention to where they spend their money. I don't know if you saw this or not, but BlackRock is laying off 600 people. You got to read the fine print. You know where the 600 people are being laid off in? Their ESG and sustainability departments. They had this knee-jerk reaction to the Biden agenda, the Democrat, you know, taking over the House and EVs and climate change and renewable energy and BlackRock bought in. Now, why do they buy in? Probably some deal that we'll never know about, but now they're laying off 600 people. Why? Because the CEO of um, Fink, I think's his name, Larry Fink's the CEO of BlackRock, he's giving, he's getting advice from some of his internal lawyers that he may be breaking the law by making decisions on behalf of people's investment strategy that is not in their best interest. I mean, they have an obligation to make sure they make sound decisions on your behalf. They knee-jerk reacted to ESG and sustainability, hired 600 people, put them in that special department, and now they're laying them all off, and they're basically saying, hey, we're not making any money over there. We're making a lot of money when we buy Exxon. We're making a lot of money when we invest in Shell and BP. We're not making any money at all on some of these government-ordained programs, and we could get in legal hot water by making some of these decisions, not on whether it's in the monetary best interest, but rather is it, is it something we think we should do to make gain favor with the body politic? Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. It frustrates me when it's something is clear in my head, but it doesn't. I don't articulate it clearly. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Do you believe that Mark Zuckerberg is an insider? I mean, do you believe that if Davos gathers and sets the, the, the playing rules, Josh, for all of the rest of us, you know, us peasants and hayseeds and, and NASCAR fans, I mean, we live in the world that they ordain, they bless, they control. Um, do you believe that he has a good idea of where the world is headed? Yeah. Do you believe Larry Fink at BlackRock has a good idea of where the world is headed? Yes. Okay. And, and that's the point I'm trying to make. Pay attention to what they do. So Zuckerberg spends $270 million on his home, takes $100 million, builds a bunker. If Zuckerberg has confidence in where the world is headed, the last thing he's concerned about is dying in a bunker, you know, as a you know, semi-prepper. But, but he's doing that. That tells me a lot. That tells me that Zuckerberg has a very good understanding of the useful idiots he and Fink at BlackRock have deployed to make sure they get their way. They know this is not sustainable, but they get all they can for as long as they can at the cost of everybody else associated. This is not for the benefit of all. BlackRock is not in it but for one thing, to make BlackRock more prominent. Zuckerberg is not in it but for one thing, to make Facebook more prominent. There is no altruism. There is no doing good. When Zuckerberg's give $450 million to the American Center for Tech and Civic Life to help Democrats get elected— He's not doing that because he believes that makes the world a better place. He's doing that because it makes his life more profitable, more prominent. Same thing with, with BlackRock. So is Zuckerberg spending $100 million burying a bunker to make sure he can live for as long as he can in, in case something crazy happens and the useful idiots don't do exactly what, what they expect them to do? And then you take BlackRock laying off 600 people who were employed in their ESG sustainability program or portfolio, 
And the reason they're, I mean, they're not laying off the 600 people because they don't want to be in good graces with the government. They're laying off the 600 people because there's some lawyer internally at BlackRock that says, you know, we do have a responsibility to our investors to make prudent decisions. And this knee-jerk reaction that you guys had about embracing this new green deal and renewable energy agenda, it may be a good investment, but it's not right now. The much better investment is Shell and BP and Exxon and Tesla and some of these companies that you're not real keen on or the government's not real real crazy about. That's why they're doing this. And and that's what we need to understand that emphatically. BlackRock is not in it for the common good. Facebook is not in it for the common good. It's power, influence, control, and money. It will always be power, influence, and control, and money. And if you pay attention to those people, they'll tell you where they believe the world is headed, not by what they say. I heard the, the, the red-eye guys this morning riding over saying, you know, when you think about DeSantis, Haley, and Trump, they all believe about the same thing. And I wanted to call in and say, no, they all say about the same thing. Haley doesn't believe that. I mean, Haley's going to be a shield for BlackRock. She's going to be a shield for um, Zuckerberg. She's going to be a shield for the powerful people because she wants to be powerful, wealthy, and powerful, something she's never had. She's attracted to that. She is almost submissive to that, irrationally submissive to that. And I think voters are a little bit aware of how willing or how far she's willing to go to gain favor with the masters of the universe, the self-appointed masters of the universe let's go to the wouldn't phone. you want to be sure self- if you could appoint yourself to that well, I mean, group have, have we talked have we said a word about springsteen yet <laughs> i mean one of the most prophetic lines in the history of rock and roll poor man want to be rich rich man want to be king king ain't satisfied till he rules everything yep. I mean, if i were a poor man i'd want to be a rich man if i were a rich man i'd want to be a richer man if i were a richer man i'd want to be king that's human nature and it's timeless it didn't stop at a certain time in history People have always been self-preservationists. Some are unbelievably aggressive in pursuit of that control, dominance, money, influence, power. And I mean, you, you don't get where Zuckerberg, I mean, you've heard the story, what he did to his, his buddies, his college roommates. I mean, do you believe that's the, the giving charitable soul? He cut their throat to make sure he had control of Facebook. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. But you know, kid. They had to know that everything they were doing, I'm not Zuckerberg and Blackbird, Blackrock and all the rest of them, they had to know what they were doing was for cause of this because they did it on purpose. They made their bunker to that old law knowing they already set the ball. Breeze, if you, ro- if you robbed a bank and got away with it, do you think you'd try to rob another one? Yeah, you probably would. Well, you, you see where I'm headed. It. I mean... The, the, the human experience is full of that. Yeah, I think this cathedral thing has probably been around. God knows a lot longer than we realize. And I believe it's been here in America probably since the end of the Civil War. But I'll tell you what, I'll, you know, I asked that question yesterday, and I guess I'll answer it. I don't believe the, the Trump voter has any idea how much chaos will ensue if Trump is elected and he is and he is inaugurated, we will be in for a battle like you have never seen. And you know, and that's what they called an insurrection on January eighth or six, whatever the hell it happened, will be a joke compared to what happens if Trump. 
of the American public has the, the stomach for it. So I'm telling you what, we are going to be in four years, if Trump wins again, of something that you just are not going to believe what they're going to throw at us. You think COVID and all the other crap they threw at us was bad? They're going to throw stuff at us like you don't, you, you can't even imagine. That's what I think. And I think that they're going to throw viruses at us. I think that they're going to do stuff to the water supply. I think they're going to do stuff to the food supply. These people are at all-out war with us, and they're doing a very intellectual war. And, you know, there will be some bullets, and there will be some people killed, but it won't be coming from our side. The violence will come from their side. And, you know, if you look at Europe, they're fighting back a little bit. Right now, Ecuador's being taken over by the drug cartels. You know, and I don't know if they have anybody there to fight back against them. Right now, we got you got an army of, of immigrants that are in this country right now that they can turn loose on us for the next four years, and it's going to be it's going to be awful, guys. It's going to be awful, and it's going to be the fight of our lives. And I just don't know how many people have a stomach part. Hell, I don't know if I got a stomach part. Thank you, Breeze. That's a weird way to. Tell Breeze bye. Thank you, Breeze, for all that encouraging uh, information. <laughs> mm-hmm. One man's opinion, certainly entitled to his. Somebody else has one. Let's go to the phone. Tony in Calhoun County listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, you had a caller earlier who didn't think Ray Epps had been charged yet. He not only has been charged, he's been sentenced. He was sentenced yesterday um, to disorderly conduct on restricted grounds. He didn't, he didn't get the, uh, you know, interfering with Congress or any of the other ones, any of the heavier charges. His sentence is a twenty a one-year probation, $25 fine, $500 in restitution, and 100 hours of community service. And that's it. Oh, that's all that's coming to him. Thank you, Tony. Seemed like he got off lightly. <laughs> and um, he's the one that's caught on tape, right? Well, he's, he's the one saying, repeatedly, go yeah, into yeah, the let, let's storm the Capitol, let's do this. I mean, a lot of people believe mm-hmm. That he was a plant. Um, I mean, I think you've got to be a fool to believe that the FBI did not, in some way, shape, or form, infiltrate some of what happened on on January sixth. I just think it's so interesting to me, and, and I'll admit when I'm wrong. I mean, I readily admit when I'm wrong, and I'm wrong a lot. I admit a lot, but but I believed that every second Trump was talking about January sixth or talking about the 2020 election was a day he was losing. I'm not convinced of that. I'm not convinced today, uh, less than a week before the Iowa caucus, that he can't frame both those issues in a way that add to Americans' skepticism about whether the government's telling them the truth or not. And I guess to some degree, Rev, I mean, if we're in a, if we're, if we're expressing, if we're demonstrating the spirit of an insurrection, the, the boogeyman in the spirit of insurrection is the, the lack of faith people have in government. Trump can't sell January 6th or his side of the story. He can't sell the 2020 election was stolen if the American people, by and large, trust their government. But but most Americans today are highly skeptical of whether the government is shooting them straight or not. That's why I think Trump can add fuel to that fire and get away with it. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. This is red meat. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we're talking about elections and rebellions and insurrections and, you know, the 14th Amendment. I mean, that, that gets real aggressive real fast, but I don't think there's an alternative. I mean, I think you've got to call it like you see it. And this is going to be a very, very 
aggressive and chaotic moment in American political history. Half the country are actively engaging in a rebellion to basically overthrow the existing factions that control the functions of government today. Am I wrong, Josh? I mean, is that not, in essence, what we're doing? We are a part. The Trump orbit is is largely comprised of people who find government so out of control, they don't believe they can tweak, they don't believe they can take a scalpel, they don't trust, you know, a Republican leadership to get the train back on the track. They believe that something fundamentally rearranging has to happen. Therefore, we are at least rebelling to some degree. The spirit of insurrection is very involved in that. And it's not a dumb conversation. It's a very intelligent conversation. We talked about earlier the rule of power and the rule of law. Well, I mean, the rule of law says that everybody, I'll give an example. This is a classic example, an important example. So the rule of law, I mean, if we were in America that, that by and large abided by the rule of law, there would be a number of Democrats, a number of Democrats saying loudly and clearly in the spirit of America, because we believe in these fundamental principles of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, as part of that is equal protection under the law and due process. How many Democrats have said, hey, man, this may be a bridge too far? I mean, Trump's not been charged, not been convicted. I understand the scholarly debate we can have on the constitutionality or not and what the 14th Amendment implied or not. I understand that. But, I mean, fundamentally, fundamentally due process and equal protection under the law. If we were a nation abiding and obligating ourselves to the rule of law, there would be at least half the Democrats in America say, I mean, the guy deserves to be on the ballot. I mean, if we beat him, we beat him, but we don't, we don't. That's not where we are. And we're rebelling, <laughs> which includes the spirit of insurrection against that rule of power that has replaced the rule of law. It's not a dumb argument. It's not red meat central. It is unbelievably intellectual when you really think about it. I know the words rebellion and insurrection sound red meaty. I mean, I understand that. I'm not crazy. And I know when you go down that road, some of the more intelligent people say, that's talk radio. Uh, that's what those guys do. They're always drumming up something, ginning up something, stirring up something. You're being you, provocative uh, You know purpose, how they yeah. are. I mean, they're, they're all, and they're good at it. I mean, they, you know, Juan Williams. I mean, the, the greatest compliment anybody's ever given me, and Juan Williams never called my name, but there was a poll that said, clearly, the Democrats are winning this debate in the moment. And Juan Williams on Sunday morning said, yeah, but this happened Friday afternoon. Those talk show hosts hadn't got to work yet. When they get back to work, they'll, they'll reorganize and resituate this debate. But I just believe it's such an important moment in American history when half its people say, I've lost faith in government to the point of agreeing to be in some weird way a part of a rebellion that includes the spirit of insurrection. Let's go to the phone. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Hey, what happened? Twenty. How did that work out? When you put him on the ballot, how did that work out? Huh? You, how did that work out? Well, in twenty. Well, I mean, you see what happened in twenty? Yeah, I mean, he lost. So, so why don't you want to run yeah, against him again? Yeah, there is a selection that on January sixth. He don't need to be on the ballot. 
You need to be in jail. Williams, why didn't they charge Trump with insurrection? Huh? Why I didn't, didn't Jack Trump? Smith? I mean, you talk a lot about what Smith does, and, and Jack Smith is the pirate from the Caribbean. I mean, why didn't Jack Smith charge Donald Trump with inciting an I insurrection? Mean, Donald Trump is doing Putin work. He's doing exactly what Putin wants. What Trump to do? But but I'm asking a question because I'm I'm trying to understand it. I mean I want to understand those who don't believe Trump belongs on the ballot. Why wouldn't you charge him? I and mean, if you fundamentally believe he incited an insurrection, why wouldn't you charge him with it? Well, why why Jack Smith charged with him in D.C.? What 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 are charges in D.C.? Um, I mean I've got them here in front of me. Uh, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, conspiracy against rights. Conspiracy to defraud the United States and obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. Doesn't include the word insurrection. Well, that's good enough. As long as, long as he can get the results. All you got to do is put his daughter, his daughter on the stand. And she begging three times on her knees. And she's going to be the one to bring him down. Can, can I ask you one more his question? Daughter. Can I ask you one more question? Go ahead, baby. Go ahead. Why, why are, I mean, I read some polling this morning. Why are more African-Americans and Hispanic voters supporting Donald Trump than ever before? Why, why are more African-American voters today supporting Donald they Trump? Crazy. Why would you support white supremacists? That's what I'm asking. I mean, if Trump is a I white mean, supremacist I'm candidate, why would more African-Americans support that? Well, when Donald Trump called, I'm a veteran. I was in Vietnam, almost got killed. He called veterans suckers and losers. That's all I got to hear from him. Call veterans suckers and losers. Talk to you later. Thank you. Appreciate that, Williams. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to know that from an African-American. I mean, it's, I've always said, I don't know what African-Americans feel. I'm not an African-American. I don't know what their sensibilities are. I'm not an african American. I wish we lived in a world like John Lennon sings about, where there were no there were no colors, there were no religions, there were no ethnicities. Everybody could get along, and everybody could um could could hash out their disagreements in a very equitable fashion. That that ain't the real world. Um, and as it relates to Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken, he'll be J Democrat. Um, the great civil rights president is the one that led um, America into a an excursion, an intervention that didn't turn out. As planned, and eventually cost. Well, I mean, you could argue Kennedy probably started that, but LBJ obviously had a lot to do with sending more military assets, including um, young men, to Vietnam to fight for something that nobody had complete clarity on why uh, they were fighting there. 843 661 0937 is our number. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937, our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Billy in Florence, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Great show as always. I know you asked a question about why uh, African Americans are turning their uh, um, back to the uh, Biden. I think it's because of the immigration. Uh, these people are coming across the border um, and getting on the uh, welfare system. I think the African Americans are looking at, hey, you know, that's something that's maybe cutting into my you know, piece of my pie. There's only so much to go around, and so that's just my take on why uh, I believe that people are turning on, on on Biden now is, or the African American vote is turning on them because of the immigration policy. Thank so. you. I think that's got a lot to do with it. No question about it. There's a lot of polling out there on Hispanics in particular. I mean, Trump. If the election in America today, I didn't say tomorrow. If the election were today, 
and nobody but legal Hispanic immigrants were allowed to vote. Trump wins somewhere around 39-32. I mean, that's that, that's a, that there's been an enormous shift in the Hispanic vote from the Democrat to the Republican, slower in the African-American community. Um, I've got a theory. You ready for my theory? I mean, it's probably offensive, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I'm not tenured, but I'll, I'll take a chance. Um, I believe, I mean, I grew up, a, a lot of my life has been spent in a metal building putting truck bodies together with very <sighs> unrehearsed people. What you saw is what you got. Not highly educated, plenty smart, not highly educated, not highly affluent, but lived all of their lives basically where the rubber met the road. Black, white, woman, man, Republican, Democrat, Gamecock, Tiger, didn't matter. Everybody was trying to scrap together a life for themselves and their family. Before I got heavily involved in my family's business, I spent a lot of my life in locker rooms. And in the locker room, it doesn't matter if the left tackle was black or white or a junior or a senior or his daddy was a farmer or his daddy worked at DuPont or Nucor. Didn't matter. He missed the block. I mean, he let us down. So there was um, kind of a teamwork, and and you you became brothers. I mean, you really and truly did. I mean, I can still go back to a football game, shake a hand with a guy I played baseball with, hug the guy I played football with. I mean, there's a brotherhood there. You went through something together. When you build a business and everybody lived out of that business, you, there, there was a brotherhood you created there. And you get to know people in the most informal way imaginable. It's not uh, a, a seminar or a session, or a feel-good lecture. Now, but this is where the rubber meets the road. And I've told Rev, had I been smart enough to put a hidden camera in our break room at AA Builders, I'd be a multi-gazillionaire now. Because, I mean, it was the most real and authentic conversations with real, authentic, and very diverse personalities that you could ever imagine. And most African-Americans in my world, transgenderism was weird. Homosexuality was different. Same-sex marriage was taboo. Um, abortion was something. Nah, man. I mean, you don't do that. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying. Now, once again, I don't know how representative that is of the African American community. I know how representative it was of the way I perceived the African American community, and they perceived me as a member of the white community, so to speak. And um, that's why I've said it a million times, and I'll stand by it. I've been around racism pretty much all my life. I've never been around a lot of hatred. I'm just not. I mean, racism has been in my face nearly every day of my life. I've dealt with it the best way I know how to deal with it. But but as I sat and listened and talked and discussed and lived and celebrated and had heartbreaks with people that work in our business and people that I played a lot of sports with in locker rooms, the African-American community felt that some of the radical leftist agenda today, celebration of, of gay marriage and transgenderism, and there aren't but, you know, that there are multiple, I mean, forget the man and woman, there, there are a hundred sexes. And and they're like, I don't know about all this, man. I think they're, I think the African-American community has been asked to go far more radically left than they're comfortable going. I'm not an African-American. I'm not speaking for African-Americans. I'm giving my interpretation of what I perceive from where I come from and where the radical left is carrying the Democrat Party. Take a break. Back in a few.
843-661-0937 is our number. You talk about the people you work with back in the metal building and uh, and the experiences, the variety of people, but how does Trump do with that group of people as a whole? He kills it. I mean, he kills it. He wins every white vote in that building and probably half of the black vote, maybe more than half the black vote. I'll tell you this. I went and visited my brother ah, 2015, 16, before the election. I had never, ever heard any of our employees talk politics. I just didn't. Um, when I pulled up in the parking lot, there were eight or ten trucks with bumper stickers. There was one with a window decal. I mean, there was two or three with, with, with the Make America Great Again baseball caps. I mean, these are not political operatives, obviously. These are not affluent. They're not running lobbies. They're not running um, consulting companies. They're hardworking, decent, average Americans. I mean, they're the guy trying to figure out a way to get to, to next Friday and then the next Friday and then the next Friday. Um, yeah, I mean, he wins that room. I mean, he wins every white vote in that break room. And he wins more black votes in that break room than ever before, more Hispanics uh, in that break room than ever before. And, I mean, we just there was not a lot of talk about diversity, Rev. I mean, it was real people living in the real world. That's what I loved about it. I mean, it was not, it was not a, you know, a, um, th- there were no chameleons there. There were no charlatans there. I mean, it was all people just getting up, doing the best they can to get to the next day and they felt the world had passed them by, and they didn't understand. I mean, they didn't understand geopolitics. They didn't understand globalism or interventionism. They just knew that a six-pack of beer had gone up ten times since they got a raise. And their their wife, who worked at the textile mill, was told ten years ago that they were sending her job to Malaysia or sending her job to Vietnam or sending her job to, to Taiwan or China or some other place, and they're angry about that. They don't know who to be angry at. Because they don't listen to conservative talk radio. They don't watch CNN or Fox News. They live their lives. They're, they're, they're on YouTube reading now about deer hunting or, 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 you know, things like that. They're just not as interested in these sorts of, of things. And he's their, he's their champion. Now, now, we can debate whether it was him taking advantage of an orbit of people. I, I don't have the answer to that. But, um, no, I mean, he kills it with those people. We know that. I mean, we know that. And here's what I'd ask, um, you know, the casual consumer political news. If there's one organized political movement that opposes the 99% most powerful people on the planet and the 99% most powerful people on the planet publicly, actively, and passionately oppose that movement, don't you ask yourself why? I mean, isn't the legitimate question, why? I mean, why are, the, why are all these powerful people so opposed to my guy? I mean, if Trump is their guy, and you know that's the truth. I mean, in working-class America, he is heroic. Does he deserve it? I'm not debating that. I don't have any idea what his motivations are. I don't have any idea what his sincerity is. You don't either. Nobody does. When you say Trump's phony, you don't know that. When you say Trump is real, and the real, you don't know that. I mean, we're all speculating because nobody knows a man's heart. I mean, I don't, you don't, nobody does. You, you kind of make the best summation you can from, from afar. But the polls are clear. The 99% most powerful people on the planet oppose the favorite of the powerless. 
Why is that? I mean, I think that's the natural evolution to ask. I mean, why do all these powerful people so oppose this guy who has become a champion for all of these people? They, they, they like income inequality. They like wealth disparity. They, they like um, all the power and influence being concentrated in a few places and, and a few people. I mean, that's what they like. That's human nature. And, and I would argue that if the, if the powerless ever become powerful, you know what they'll do? Probably do everything in their power to hold on to that power. I mean, that's just human nature 101. But I think that's what makes this campaign so interesting. Can the powerful people, refute the masses. In other words, have we gotten our nation to a place where the the 1% that have amassed so much influence, power, uh, personal wealth, can they continue to figure out a way to, 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 for the game to continue to be played under the rules that is being played today and, and the powerless remain frustrated and bothered and angry? And, you know, I'm not saying that we're going to have some rejuvenation of the middle class. I don't have any idea what the next term of Trump looks like. I mean, Breeze believes it's going to be worse than the first. I mean, you're going to have multiple um, pandemics and multiple um, health issues and multiple um, issues of conflict. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we're all speculating to some degree on what that may. The point I've tried to make, and I saw Josh nodding his head a second ago, the point I've tried to make is this is not dumb politics. I mean, this is probably the most intellectually stimulating election that I can ever remember because it's clear. I mean, it, it's absolutely clear. The powerful people are trying to stop the powerless from having a say. I mean, that's where we are. It's not philosophical. We're not debating conservative or liberal. I mean, you got to win primaries. And, and I know, I understand that the body politic and the forces within, I mean, they make it about conservative and, and liberal. I mean, that's the, that's the ongoing debate. I mean, that's the game that's played but, but how many of you really believe that Trump v. Biden is going to be about conservative and liberal? No. It's about can the powerful prop up their guy and figure out a way to once again get him across the finish line? Was 2016 just one of these oddities that will never happen again? Or is there sustainability in a movement that is based on nationalist populism? I mean, it's so there's so much there. But, 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 you know, the, um, the detractors choose to say, well, he's an authoritarian. He's, he wants to be a dictator. Uh, that scares me. It's dangerous. Therefore, I'm out. I mean, to me, you're showing a lack of intellectual curiosity if you try to break it down to something as simple as that. Let's go to the phone. Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. Morning, gentlemen. I think the best answer to your question, and I don't want to get into 100 points, I think there's one point. And the reason why the 99% of the technocrats fear Donald Trump the most is because he broke the cardinal sin of being president in America. He had the audacity to question the truthfulness of the number one propaganda arm of the United States, the CIA. And when Chuck Schumer, with his best Lucifer face, said, you better be careful because they got six plays from Sunday of getting back at you. That pretty much nailed his coffin shut. And we've seen what happened since then. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, Tucker believes that. I mean, one of the loudest voices in the America First movement, probably the best 
articulator of the America First cause is Tucker Carlson, and he says that. I mean, the day that Trump got over the target, and, and I, I would look at the CIA, FBI, Department of Justice. I mean, I don't want to say they're the same as the military-industrial complex, but they're connected. I mean, there's it's about authority and control and, you know, the law, the rule of law, the exporting of democracy, um, a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of influence. Tucker believes that as complicated as we may try to make it, you know, what makes these country folk in in eastern Pen- or western Pennsylvania vote for Trump like they never have before? What makes the, the construction worker in Michigan, who has historically voted for the Democrat, what makes him become a Trump voter? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of arguments to be made on the periphery about some of those um, debates, but Tucker Carlson believes what the previous caller. Once the CIA, FBI, and military-industrial complex felt threatened, I mean, they exerted influence that they've never in presidential elections before. And it was, I mean, I, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, Tucker believes that, and Tucker's been inside the belly of the beast in Washington uh, at, at a much more intimate level than I ever have. I think that's worthy of considering. I mean, I think, you know, what, and Schumer did say that. I mean, I, you know, I remember thinking about, oh, I don't, yeah. yeah, Schumer said, I mean, you mess with those guys, they have a hundred ways to Sunday to get back at you. Well, I mean, I'm like, wow, okay, he, he just said that. I mean, we've always kind of sort of thought that, but I, I mean, he just actually said that. The, the best legacy Trump leaves behind if he's never elected to another office is exposing people for who we always thought they might be. I mean, it's not for good government. It's not for betterment of the country. It's always been about the money. Not some of the time, not most of the time, but rather um, all of the time. And I think Trump has kind of ripped the Band-Aid off of, um, off of that belief. But we're speculating. I mean, you've not been there. I've not been there. But you got to take people at their word. And Schumer said... You better be careful messing with the uh, with the CIA because those people will get you back. Is that the kind of CIA that we want to live under? I mean, is that the is that the kind of government that most Americans believe is in our best interest? I, not me. I mean, I can't I can't speak for you, but I certainly um, don't buy that. the The advantage Trump has is the detractors have never seriously nor intellectually tried to understand why he's become such a political phenomenon. I mean, there's intelligence on the other side. There's capacity on the other side to do this legwork if they chose to. But it's almost like it's a self-indictment or self-incriminating if they start looking under the cover and say, hey, why is this guy still so popular? I mean, you've got to believe in the subconscious or in their private moments they ask that question, you know, I would be very interested. We talked about Axelrod and Carville yesterday because they're very noted Democrat operatives. I wonder if over a, a beer one evening, one has said to the other, hey, man, did you think Trump would be gone by now or not? I, I would just, because they're very competent men. They're very qualified to give an opinion on what they believe. But I'd love to be a fly on a wall if Carville and Axelrod were riding somewhere together and one had the courage to ask the other, hey, didn't we kind of think this thing would be over by now? I mean, didn't we believe that the hayseeds would run out of gas? They'd lose motivation. They'd get discouraged. They would disband the movement. Does it surprise you as much as it surprises me that he's probably 
a larger political force than he's ever been today. See, I don't believe Trump is the prohibitive political force if they left him alone. I mean, I still believe that. I think they're antagonizing Trump is the fuel to the fire. Them going after Trump is the intensifier. I mean, it makes the loyalty, the support, the, 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 the unfettered willingness to go and do whatever it takes to get this guy elected some way. In other words, you've issued a challenge, we accept. And I think the best thing that the, the Carville and Axelrod and Obamas of the world could have done is let him be. I mean, just let him be and hope it kind of plays itself out. But instead of that, they went after him. I mean, they went after him with everything they had. At the beginning of his term, it was Russia collusion, right? And then it was one thing after another, after another, after another. And now it's, you know, 14th Amendment, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I mean, they're taking the guy off the ballot. You know, that they get on television and tell the public he's unelectable. I mean, there's no way he can win. And then they go behind closed doors and say, let's get him off that damn ballot. Just in case. Just in case. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's take a break. We'll be back in a few. 843-661-0937. So Trump says, I'm the president. I do as I damn well please. And the court said, well, we'll have less say in that. Uh, Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Ryan, I'm taking some liberties, I'm sure, with the conversation but the former president is basically asking or, or requesting of the appellate judge in D.C. to give him more immunity authority than most people are comfortable with. Is that fair? Essentially, yes. They're, he's asking them to pretty much give credence to his claims that he has presidential immunity when it comes to a lot of the, the accusations surrounding what he did uh, to try to overturn or change the 2020 election results. But obviously, based off the, what we've heard yesterday, was that a lot of these judges were a little skeptical of that argument. So it kind of remains up to, uh, up to the judges if they're going to overturn this or not, or they're going to you know, uh, pretty much shoot down this appeal. And then eventually we'll see this in the Supreme Court. So, Ryan, if it goes Trump's way, what happens? And if it doesn't go his oh. way, what is the outcome? Well, I think regardless if it goes his way or not, this is likely to end up before the Supreme Court. But if former President Trump's able to win this argument, there's this thought that this is going to create a massive ripple effect, not just for this case uh, in particular, but also in some of the other cases against him, too. Because keep in mind, the case down in Georgia is also about the 2020 presidential election and whether or not former former President Trump did anything illegal in trying to change those results. So if the judges, and it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, they rule in former President Trump's favor, he's going to have a lot of legal weaponization to be able to use in these criminal cases against him moving forward and to the point where he might be able to just get all the charges dropped. Ryan, he attended the trial. Did he speak at all? Yeah. Uh, he did speak briefly afterwards, yes. Uh, I don't have the specific readout on what he said, but essentially he's you know, trying to continue the argument that the government's being weaponized against him, that Joe Biden uh, has been going after him because he's a threat to his presidency. So yeah, I think we've seen these statements being made before, but former President Trump's not backing down. Very well explained. Thank you for your time, Ron. Have a great day. Uh, you too, my friend. Thank you. And, guys, that feeds into what I'm saying. And, look, take my opinion for what it's worth. It's an opinion. I mean, it's the way I see things. And I'm willing to admit that I was wrong. I just felt that every time the focus was on Trump trial, Trump 
indictments, Trump potential convictions, Trump arguing about the 2020 election, Trump talking about January. I just felt that was not to his advantage. Now, now I can be easily influenced by my bubble, right? I mean, I've got to accept that, that my universe is probably more supportive and sympathetic to Trump than America at large. But, But something in my gut tells me that he's not losing when these stories are being covered, that Americans have become so distrusting of government that he's convinced many they're out to get me and they're going to do anything they can to get me. And don't mistake what they're doing as coming after me. They're coming after you. They liked you on the sidelines. They liked you standing in line and doing what you were told. And the second you got off the sideline, the second you stopped doing as you were told, they had to attack me because I'm somewhat of a, a manifestation of you. And once again, that's my opinion. I was wrong before. I could be wrong again. But it seems to me that the American public are more willing to listen to some of Trump's arguments than I anticipated they would be. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence, good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, I was calling to ask if you actually listened, because you can listen to the audio of that uh, hearing yesterday. I did not. I, happened to- no, I, I heard the question about, I listened to an audio, I think the day before Yesterday, when the guy said, do you think you could assassinate your political rival or opponent and, and have immunity of that? Yeah, and and Jack Smith in his, um, you know, rebuttal to this filing of immunity, that was one of the examples he put in there. And um, do you know what Trump's lawyer said to that question when said, it was asked by one of the judges? Uh, something to the effect, we'll have to get back with you on that. No, it was... Um, a qualified yes. Uh, I, I don't know that I agree with that. So you you should spend an hour and 15 minutes uh, listening to that hearing. Um, I think I've been because, very clear in arguing that I don't think Trump has immunity. Right, right. I mean, but the argument, why do you ask for immunity? But, I mean, when you're in court, don't you try to play the best hand you can? I mean, wouldn't that be natural? Right. I mean, isn't that a lawyer's job? Or does the lawyer say, no, we're wrong. I'm sorry. We shouldn't be advocate here. Advocate your position. I mean, you advocate your yeah. position. If you've taken that position, then you, you, you take as much liberties as, as allowed to try and say, here's why we believe what we believe. Yeah, but do you think we live in an America that Joe Biden could do the same thing? I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody. I don't, and I've said I don't think Trump has immunity. Yeah, it's – you know, you, but I don't think he loses it. politically talking about it, Jeff. I did before. Well, I, I don't now. I, I think it. I, I, I think that kind of um, argument weakens America, don't you? Yeah, but I mean, I don't think most people read or listen to an hour and fifteen minutes of a a court hearing that included whether a president has immunity or not. I'm being very political now. I'm not being the legal I'm being more about the the politics of it. And 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 I and I I said. Last year, I didn't think Trump needed to dwell on these sorts of things. I think he's winning when he's talking about inflation and immigration, and I thought he paid a price when he went back to those sorts of subjects. I'm not sure now. I think he probably can speak about those things in the way he has. Right. So so as a guy who would even entertain the thoughts that he has that kind of power, 
I mean, do you really believe that years. Donald Trump thinks he has the power to kill or assassinate his political opponent, or, or do you believe that's a lawyer trying to defend a position by answering it a string? I mean, why does a judge ask that question? Yeah, I mean, because it's it's the argument they're making. They're saying unless you are impeached and convicted by the Senate, the president, regardless of while he's in office and after he leaves office, is immune to any prosecution. But, I mean, they're not the only lawyers that believe that. I mean, I've heard other constitutional scholars debate how much while the president in is— office, yes. Yeah, but I think, but that was the question, right? I mean, not not as former president, but as current and sitting president. I mean, I, I don't think you or I believe that the the immunity provision granted to a sitting president includes the right to kill a political opponent. I don't think anybody of reason, but I think if you want to create these hypothetical scholarly constitutional arguments, you ask such an extreme example to try and provoke some consequential conversation. But it, it, so so the argument that the, that is being made is, if you're president and something known or unknown occurs and you break the law, after you leave office and you haven't been impeached and convicted, you have immunity for life. Correct. That's his argument. Okay. That, that I don't agree right. with that argument, but that's his argument. Right. And if a guy who um, thinks he has that kind of cover gets in the white house boy that's a scary thing but but sure you're you're making an assumption that he thinks he has that kind of cover would would you agree with this that people at times go to court not really believing where they stand but having to put forth the best legal argument they can or any legal argument they can. Well, I mean, I, I would agree to that. I mean, I, but I don't think that's yeah. uncommon. Yeah. I mean, lawyers do that on both sides. That's not Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal. I mean, when you when you take a stand and you hold a position, you hire lawyers. Their obligation is to try and defend that position as vigorously as they possibly can and to the, the extreme. The only, the only thing I'll say is when you've got a guy who's who is saying. She is a genius um, who thinks that Kim Jong-il is, is like a good leader. That's problematic, wouldn't you say? And then this, this same candidate is talking about immunity for life. This same candidate is talking about, I'm going to be a dictator. You know, you can say it's hyperbole. He's just joking around. When do you stop taking it as a joke? Well, let me ask you a question. I'd be interested in your opinion. I'll agree that some of what he says concerns me, but but every president has said certain things that concern me. Um, why do you believe? Because I can't relate to your stance on Trump. I mean, I respect it, but I can't relate because I don't feel the way you do. But why do you believe that Trump today is more popular in politics than he's ever been? Because he's a freak show. He's a sideshow. He's entertaining. And the ignorant masses like to be entertained. Why do people slow down? And only the smart people see through it. No, no, I'm just saying that's that's the human nature, isn't it? I mean, I, I, to some degree, I'll accept that. But there's something else going on here, Jeff. You don't know, and I don't know, and I don't profess to know. But but he's more popular and and likely to win today than he's ever been since he showed up in late 2015. And I'm trying to figure out why. And I think okay, that and, sh- and, I think we should all be curious 
about that fact. It's a fact now. I mean, I'm not saying he wins, but it's a fact that he's more popular today amongst the general public than he's ever been since he showed up, what, eight years ago. Uh, I, the question uh, I'm asking is why? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll just say that um, whether you, you – uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to – I'm not comparing him to Hitler, okay? But make no mistake that the German populace after World War II – uh, was desperate for change. Um, the sanctions put on them were devastating. It was not good for the German country. And a, a person rose out of that and stoked that um, stoked that rage, stoked that those fears. And that is how Hitler came to power. He was popular. He was saying the things that people wanted to hear. So you did compare him to Hitler? Well, I'm just saying. No, you did. <laughs> I'm just saying. You, 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 you not, just compared him I, to Hitler. I, I, I'm not talking about policy. <laughs> I'm not talking about policy. I don't think he's going to round anybody up. Uh, he says he is, but I don't think he is. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, if you look at it, he's speaking to a people. He's, he's talking to people in a way that plays on certain things, right? But, I mean, Would all politicians do. I did when I ran. Did you I mean, hear Biden's speech at the church the other day? It was, it was the most disgusting yeah. thing I've ever heard in an African-American church in South Carolina. It disgraced the honor of the Charleston Nine. Uh, I mean, we gave them thoughts and prayers. Isn't that enough? Well, I, I, I just, I've always interpreted the role of the church to be very different than Joe Biden using that as a platform to divide a nation. And that's exactly what he did. He amplified the intensity. He amplified the animus that one group has really? has with an. Oh, of course he did. Absolutely. I'm he curious did. about you're, this. You're, I'm curious about this immunity thing, though. And and I'll ask you because you held high office in this state. I mean, are are you shielded as a former lieutenant governor with some sort of immunity for decisions you made when you were in office? Well, I mean, to some degree, but but I was also included in lawsuits. If a, if a senior home. Um, burned in Newberry, and we ran the office on aging. I mean, I was brought into that case as, I mean, I remember a U.S. Marshal coming to my office, scared the daylights out of me, but they had some lawsuit where I was involved in, because we, I was the executive officer of the office on aging, the fire extinguishers had not been routinely checked, and something happened, and someone got hurt or lost their lives. But the president, I think Jeff and I will agree to this, the debate about the president is unique. I mean, his immunity, his executive privileges are very unique from any other office in the world, really, other than dictatorships. But, but I, And the courts recently, Jeff, I think you'll agree with this, have basically sided with the president that he does have um, more executive privilege than probably I'm comfortable with, uh, more, 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 more immunity than, prob- than I'm probably um, comfortable with. But, but it's, it's the nature of the presidency in America. So, so the debate goes to whether you're doing it for your the office of president or you're doing it for personal gain. That's the distinction. That's that's where this line is drawn, because you know you know you know that there is your job as a legislator or an office holder, and then you have your job as a campaigning candidate and a private citizen. Correct. Those overlap. Sure. Okay. And so are you doing things for the office or are you doing things for personal gain? Well, let me ask you this now to the flip side of that. And I know we got to take a break, Josh, but this is a good conversation. So Biden 
is in charge of the DOJ. The DOJ is aggressively going after Donald Trump. Is that Biden doing right by the nation or making it more likely that a Republican is defeated in November and a Democrat wins, whether it's Biden or not? Is he doing right by the country or is he advantaging Joe Biden personally? We make this weaponization an issue. You, it is being used as a campaign issue. To say that you don't trust the court systems or the DOJ and that Biden is directing. Do you, Jeff? Do you do you trust the court systems and the DOJ? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, to, to think that we have a country, like if you don't fundamentally believe that when this gets to the Supreme Court and they don't take this case on immunity, or they rule against Trump, are you going to say it's Biden still? No, but see, I'm one of the few Republicans that'll say, I hope the immunity case goes to the Supreme Court, and I hope they rule against Trump. And how could they not? The, the On the ballot, the ballot questions, what does the Constitution say about how you run elections? How does the federal government run elections? Well, I mean, the, the states are in charge. Okay. So the states are in charge. Do the state constitutions have provisions for removing people from the ballot? Sure. Okay. Then what are we talking about? But doesn't doesn't the candidate have a right to petition the courts and the courts end up, I mean, if the courts make a decision at the lower. Hold on. I want want to finish this conversation with Jeff. Let's take a break. Hang on, Jeff. I don't want want you to go because I think this is a a point counterpoint. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Is Jeff still there? You still there, Jeff? Yes, sir. Okay. See, see, I believe this. I believe that if the Colorado General Assembly decided that an orange guy with blonde hair can't be on the ballot, they can do that. But eventually the Constitution says if you're over the age of 35 and a legal citizen, you can run. So I think all of these state issues, Jeff, eventually become an issue of the Constitution. The 14th Amendment is an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So eventually, Absolutely. whatever these states do is going to end up under the purview of the U.S. Supreme Court. Absolutely. That is how our system works, and that's how it should happen. But to say that the states or the U.S. DOJ or Joe Biden is using lawfare to remove Trump from ballots is dishonest. It is not Joe Biden. It is a weird interpretation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But it's being made by people who live reside in states, Maine, Colorado. I believe that Nevada's looking at it. There's other states that have um, initiatives and are reviewing whether to remove Trump from the ballot. Based on what? Fourteenth Amendment. Which is a constitutional matter. But the basis for him to be on the ballot in their state is he eligible to be on the ballot or be president? And I understand and that, and I think they are right. well within their rights. I think they're, I Absolutely. do believe it's lawfare, but but I, I, I think they are well within their rights to interpret the 14th Amendment how they choose. But they don't and, get the final say on the 14th Amendment. They, they don't. It, it, its constitutionality will be ruled by the U.S. Supreme Court. But it is, let's, let's just be clear, it is not Joe Biden. It is not the uh, DOJ that is doing this, correct? No, I mean, it, legally, it's the Secretary of State and the Attorney General, and I guess to some degree, the General Assembly, 
of some of these states. So, so in some states, the secretary of state of those states, that's not their power. That power resides in their congresses. Mm-hmm. So um, a lawsuit has to be brought. So what are we arguing about? What, what are we, I mean, we're not arguing. I mean, I'll agree that Colorado has a right to, to interpret the 14th Amendment as they see. But, but eventually, Trump has a right to appeal that decision, and then the U.S. Supreme Court has final say on all constitutional matters. So what are we arguing about? Absolutely agree. We're, we're arguing where is this attack coming from? Do you believe that Joe Biden is directing this attack on Donald Trump? I mean, I think, by, I think Joe Biden is probably guilty by association. He's leader of the Democrat Party. The people doing this are largely, well, I mean, unanimously Democrats. Okay. Uh, no. I mean, I mean, like, there there are Republicans that have brought this lawsuit. There are. You're you know, right. I mean, there's some never-Trump Republican organizations out there that are help funding some of this lawfare. Right. And, and, I'll, and I'll say this. So under your premise, do you believe that Barack Obama was the one who reinvestigated Hillary Clinton's emails two weeks before the election? No, not or at all. was it James Comey? Not at all. James Comey. It was James Comey. So how can we make that distinction that it wasn't Barack Obama's DOJ, but it was just James Comey? But how can you, on the other hand, say you trust the DOJ? I mean, if... Look, I mean, I understand Comey the formality. You trust the formality. I respect that. These are the. This is the way things should be. These are the way people in those positions should behave, but they don't. And I'm not accusing the Democrats of doing it, you know, every time and the Republicans never doing it. I do believe this, Jeff. I've never seen anybody gone after like Trump. I mean, I understand politics. I played some rough and tumble yeah. politics. I've had a bullseye on my back. I understand. I'm not naive to any of that. But Trump's different. And the public are apparently seeing different. through some of that. But but you say he's different. He does things in a different way than anybody has in history. Don't he makes himself an easier that, target, and don't deny that he that, makes I himself mean, a much easier target. If 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 you don't like, you know, um, nobody has incriminated themselves quite to this level, have they? Ah. If you're doing something, <laughs> I mean, who else has stood up there and said, "I want to be a dictator day one"? Who else has said? But you're taking you him know, literally. I take him figuratively. When do you stop? hyperbole but but all okay you, but, but when but, do you actually listen to him but jeff and this and this is where i want to get back so, so so you have those feelings and i respect those feelings i mean i disagree with them but i respect them my point is all of these things you're saying are true but he's more popular than he's ever been that to me is the most important issue how can a guy be all of those things and and, and gain momentum running for the highest office in the land. That, to me, is such an interesting dichotomy that we're trying to understand. There are people who have a, a b- ability to connect, to, to move masses, to sway opinions. They've always had, we've always had people like this. And, you know, say what you want about Bill Clinton. That man was great at what he did. No doubt. No, no question about it. You There's know, a lot of Trump that uh, reminds Ronald me of Clinton. Reagan. Ronald Reagan, great at what he did. I mean, you know, so there's not uh, to to say that because he's getting results must mean he's right isn't 
really a good argument. But, but the argument I'm making is I think he is becoming more popular because the American public believe that they're going after this guy differently than they did Bill Clinton, than they did Ronald Reagan, than they did George W. Bush, than they did Barack Obama. I don't have a scientific analysis to say that, but instinctively something tells me the more you go after this guy, the more powerful he becomes. Um, and, and, and look, you, you could, why he's gaining popularity with certain segments of the population, I mean, like, that's 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 up to debate. You like you you can think it's because his message that he's going to. Yeah, if you got ten uh, seconds, you better hurry. Yeah, if he's going to become a dictator day one, he should solve all your problems. As long as he's a good dictator, we don't have a problem. Take a break. Back <laughs> in a few. Some of these things we agree on. Some of these things we disagree on. I think we'll all agree that health care is expensive, unbelievably expensive for something you feel like you must have, but you hardly ever use. I mean, imagine that. You must have it, but you hardly ever use it. Uh, if you're working for the government or you're working in some big business, that they probably make it more affordable. If you don't, you're paying far more than you should be paying, and there's kind of sort of, or you feel like there's nothing you can really do about it. Uh, but there is. You can call Christian Levis at 843 843- 869, I want to make sure I get this, 869, excuse me, 839-888-3970, or go to the website realchoicehealthcare.com. I mean, I would ask anybody, but in particular, if you're under the age of 65 and you're reasonably healthy, this cat can save you a lot of money. I don't think you'd mind me calling him a cat. I mean that in a very... uh, yeah, I mean that as a kind of a term of endearment. 839-888-3970 or realchoicehealthcare.com. So the the last segment of last hour, we, we kept Jeff on the air for quite a while in the, in the, in the last hour, but it, it wasn't one of those, you know, yelling back and forth. It was kind of an intelligent uh, debate discussion. Well, I mean, I don't think there was a disagreement. I don't think. I mean, I believe that a, a radical state, and I'm thinking about, I mean, let's just say Colorado, smoking a bunch of weed. Let's say everybody goes in the chamber and they're high on marijuana, and they decide that nobody orange with blonde hair can run for president. I mean, I think they are entitled to do that. I think they can do that. But obviously, the, the AG's got to sign off on it. The Secretary of State's got to be a part of that. Administering elections is a state responsibility. But it's got to abide by the Constitution. And the Constitution says if you're over the age of 35, you're a legal resident, you can run. Unless the 14th Amendment says you've engaged in an insurrection. So the Supreme Court is going to always usurp the authority of whatever a state a General Assembly does. I don't, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that some of these leftist states have decided to be very radical and their interpretation of the 14th Amendment. I don't think you should be real. Probably be more surprised if nobody did anything. If everybody said, well, I mean, he's not been charged or convicted with insurrection, so who are we to say the 14th Amendment applies? I mean, they're taking a very radical interpretation of that amendment. But eventually, that becomes a constitutional matter. And who has final say on the U.S. Constitution? The Supreme Court of the United States of America. So I don't know that we that we disagreed. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. But the, the thing they're missing 
is if you read the 14th Amendment and the Section 3, it says that only Congress, through three-fifths vote in the House and the Senate, can remove a person from the ballot after being duly convicted of the insurrection. You know, we, we're doing a lot of straw man stuff here, you know, like calling tr- Trump Hitler. You know, they call Barry Goldwater Hitler. They call Nixon Hitler. They call Reagan Hitler. They call Bush Hitler. Now they call Trump Hitler, and they call DeSantis Hitler. So it doesn't matter. They're going to use the same playbook, and and you wonder why the the blacks and Latinos are starting to shy away. They're they're such into minorities and and pitting one against the other. Now they've got these illegal aliens that they're going to pit in between the blacks and the Latinos, and so they're starting to go. Oh, wait a minute, y'all are. Uh, you're starting to infringe on, on, on my little game here. So I, their coalition is loose at best. But they were talking about the uh, judges yesterday questioning about Trump's immunity. You know, they've taken all of his uh, immunity, his, his right to counsel, uh, confidential uh, lawyer, client, They've taken all that away from him. But they they keep saying, well, what happens if he has his SEAL Team 6 kill his opponent? Well, there's a remedy for that in the Constitution. You impeach the man immediately, take him out of office, and prosecute him. That, there's your remedy. You can't, you can't prosecute him while he's in office, so you have to impeach him. And they, they keep saying, well... Biden's not having anything to do with this. Biden is the executive branch. Everything happens because of Biden. Everything happened because of Trump. That's why you have to be very careful about who you vote in the office in the presidency, because that is that's why they call it the most powerful office in the world. I, I don't know how else to explain this, but Y'all have a wonderful day. Thank you, Joe. My my point has been today, I've tried to elaborate on this the best I know how. I mean, we, we've got a constitutional debate. I'm with Joe. I mean, I think the Constitution is pretty clear on, on what happens and when it happens and how it happens and who does what, when, where, and how. I mean, that, that's where I stand. Now, I accept that there is a genuine debate about interpreting the Constitution, the 14th Amendment included. I mean, I, I am very confident that I stand where the founders intended for someone to stand. But but I'm willing to accept that as part of the debate. My argument this morning has been, or my point, it's not an argument, my point, Josh, this morning has been, we've got all this kerfuffle. We've got all this shenanigan. We've got all this controversy, all this chaos. And we were told that people were tiring of that. They're tiring of the chaos. Trump fatigue syndrome will eventually win out. I mean, people are tired of the drama. They're tired of the chaos. They're tired of the, the contrarian nature of this campaign, this candidacy, and they will eventually kind of just come to their senses. I mean, if you wait long enough, the Trump supporter will say, wow, that, that was pretty wild. 
I mean, let's get back to normal. It's not happening. In fact, just the opposite is happening. It seems the more chaotic it is surrounding Trump, the more popular he becomes as a likely nominee and eventual president. And that's, to me, the interesting human experiment in all this. We were led to believe, and I drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, I believed what, what you know, kind of the narrative of, hey, man, when he's talking about January 6th, when he's talking about the election, when he's talking about indictments, when he's talking about trials, when he's talking about immunity, eventually people will say, hey, enough of that, man. I mean, I, damn. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm tired of the controversy. I'm tired of waking up every day with some controversy surrounding the leading candidate of the party I've historically supported. That's not happening. That's not happening. He's stronger today than he was before the ensuing chaos and controversy. That's been my point today. I understand the constitutional argument. I understand liberal politics. I understand the executive branch. I'm not a historian, not a scholar, but I'm not a moron. I mean, I accept some of where we are. And I do believe that Trump is a pretty easy target. I mean, he invites some of that. That's probably his best redeeming skill. I mean, I've said it before. Every candidate who's ever seeked office has a lane. And you better stay in that lane once you figure out that's your lane. You know what Trump's lane is? To turn everything into a street fight. I mean, that's when he's at his best. That's when the body politic doesn't function as well. They don't like that. They like to be in control and everything's sterile and clean and, you know, the faculty lounges of America are where we adopt policy and, you know, we redress grievances and we, yeah, no, nah, I mean, Trump's a street fighter. He's a brawler. He's a wrecking ball. And I thought people would tire of that and they haven't. And that's what I find so interesting today, January 10, um, 2024, less than a week before the Iowa caucus let's go to the phone brian in florence hi brian you're on hey guys uh yesterday i noticed a few things about the trump trial if you want to call it that uh yesterday was either the first or second time i've actually seen him what i thought he was scared he was more reserved more traditional not out talkative like he was typically in these trials and the only other time i seen him kind of in a similar way was with when covid first came out the second thing uh his lawyers did bring up something that was put back to Madison in the Federalist Papers. And Madison literally, in his writings, said exactly this was why immunity existed, because you have it politicized into being used against your opponents. That's prior to the Constitution, but Madison's a pretty uh, influential role in the Constitution, of course. And then the third thing is, I don't think he has full immunity either. But he does have some immunity. Well, how much does that immunity work? That's never been decided by the by the courts, essentially. I guess we're going to find out sooner or later what that immunity is going to be, but it hadn't really been decided yet. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, that, that's kind of this will be the precedent. I mean, this will be the modern precedent of what to what limit does presidents have immunity? Um, I mean, they, they, these are debates. These are legal debates, and these are I mean, they're very important to our existence. I, I said to Josh and Reb. During the break, how much of this is a part of, I mean, the, the, the founders created a system of government that has held the test of time. I mean, it's not perfect. Nobody's ever said it was perfect. It's been amended. We've had wars. We've had disagreements. We've had a run of one party and a run of another party. But we've, we've basically always deferred and referred to the Constitution. It's our North Star. It's our guiding light. It's where we go. 
to see what they had to say about what may eventually come our way regarding politics. But but the one thing I don't, I mean, I know Adam said a lot about this. I don't think the Constitution speaks to this. I mean, does it work? Does the Constitution and our system of government work if we have more immorality than morality? I mean, I think that's a fundamental question. Um, our system of government is not perfect, but it's been the best since man began governing fellow man with the consent of casting a ballot. In other words, Josh and I are human. I'm equal to Josh. My name's on the ballot. The only way I win is to get my fellow human being to believe that I'll do a better job than somebody else. That takes a degree of morality. I mean, it takes a degree of respect that we have one for another. Um, We've always argued about ideas. I mean, Bolt was here yesterday. We talked about Jeffersonian Hamiltonian. I mean, that was a fundamental debate to shape the early existence of our nation. I mean, that, that they were formed by the era of enlightenment. I mean, the John Locke and Thomas Hobbes of the world. So, so we've always had this philosophical debate and disagreement, and it's been very intense and vigorous at times, and at other times it's not been quite as intense. Um, is the country in a bad place today? I don't know that the country's in a bad place because we're having this extremely intense debate about who the president is or is not or should or should not be. I do believe that we are in a place where morality should concern us. I mean, is the rule of law, is the rule of law being superseded by the rule of power? I mean, the rule of law checks morality, right, Josh? I mean, you know, a good and moral people have to be held accountable to the rule of law. And I understand we interpret law. That's what we're kind of sort of doing with the courts. But but will who checks the rule of power? I mean, if the rule of law becomes subservient to the rule of power, who makes those calls? I mean, the people with the most power, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that right? I mean, you don't have law on your side. Who gives a rat's ass? I mean, I, I'm in power, <laughs> and I want to stay in power. I mean, I say that whimsically, but, but with sincerity. And, and I think that's where we are. We've got a question whether or not, I mean, the system of government has not changed. It's a good system. We've changed. And have we changed to the point of the system that our founders implemented that requires a certain degree of morality, and we're not bringing that to the table? We, the people, we, the governed, we who answer to the Constitution don't care what the Constitution says because the Constitution is founded on the rule of law, morality being a part of that. And now the rule of power that doesn't require much morality, that doesn't require much ethics, that doesn't require much virtue. I mean, you get what you can and I'll get what I can. I don't care what the law says. I don't care what the Constitution says. I mean, I think we're there. And I think that's why we find ourselves in such a chaotic period. Here's the oddity of that. Who believes that, <laughs> that Trump is the most moral man to ever hold the office, the most virtuous man that's ever held the office, the most ethical man that has ever held um, the office. I mean, I don't. I'll go on the record and say, I don't. Do you? 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Daphne and Dylan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, I'll tell you the bottom line. Each of us who are voting for Trump realize that if they, and when I say they, I mean the radicals and the people who have been bought and paid for. 
if they can do that to Trump, they most certainly could put us behind bars for 20 years for nothing. So what they have done, they have framed him over and over, Russian collusion, blah, 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 when so many more things are important. And when my mother told me to watch what people do, not what they say, she was the most intelligent person that I ever knew. Now, when you're speaking with Jeff and he doesn't realize that his president and what he wants uh, sign more executive orders on the first day to hurt America, maybe we need a Democrat in office so that those types of people will realize what the Democrats have done to this nation. Also, someone like Williams that doesn't realize that a Democrat, Democrats sent him to Vietnam. They drafted him. The Democrats have tried to convince them that the Republicans are the uh, white supremacists when it was the Democrats and their party that enslaved him. When they go to Washington and they deface the Lincoln Memorial and they don't realize that uh, Lincoln was a Republican, when we have Republicans like Bill Barr that was bought and paid for to turn against the people and the president that he was supposed to be serving by keeping the laptop hidden by allowing $3 million of our dollars to be spent by the FBI to silence us on social media when they don't realize that Joe Biden has been in office for 50 years and is a multimillionaire, and they don't realize that he didn't march with the civil rights people. In fact, he stood in Congress and opposed them vehemently. No school integration called it a racial jungle, and he would not let his children go to school with them. They don't realize all that. So when Biden stands in a church in Charleston and claims to be a part of the civil rights movement and against white supremacists, he is, in fact, himself the biggest liar that ever lived. Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937, our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Sam and Cross Hill. Morning, Sam. Uh, good morning, fellas. I tell you, I always enjoy Daphne's uh, perspective on things, and they ought to get her tied into uh, – the campaign of somehow, some way. And I think if Jeff and Williams just listens to her intensity and wisdom and what she is pointing out, uh, I think that would go a long way to helping them really understand how us common people uh, feel about things. And Ken, I ask you this question. I think regardless of, of how this election turns out this year, I think we're facing chaos. So then the question becomes, which chaos would you rather live under? I'm on the back nine heading towards the clubhouse in, 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 at my age. And at this particular point in my life, I prefer the chaos that Trump would certainly 
bring uh, to uh, wrecking the system as to the chaos that another four years of the Biden administration and the Obama administration would, would give us. So that's just my two cents worth this morning. Sam, thank you, Sam. Appreciate the call. Um, so so let's, let's go down this road together. Josh is younger, much more at stake than I do. I mean, I'm like Sam. I'm on the back nine. I don't think I'm on the 17th or 18th hole, but I'm obviously on the back nine of life. I mean, I can't see the clubhouse, but I know it's over there. Uh, it's over yonder somewhere. So when we talk about why, and I don't know that I've done a good job today. It's it's not, I mean, I, the legal arguments are a part of it. And we've had debates about the constitutionality or not. And and Rez asked me a couple times during the break, so what about the State General Assembly could do this or do, or do I mean, th- those, are, those are debates. I mean, th- th- that is politics in action. The point I try to make is we, we were told and I believed that Trump brought along too much chaos. There was too much controversy around his campaign. And even Republicans said, I think I'm going to give this to Santa's guy a shot. You know, it, I, I, I get some of the Trump, I get some of the taking on wokeism and teachers unions and, you know, um, calling things like he sees it. I mean, he challenged Disney. I mean, he's not going to do the status quo thing every time. And, and, but he doesn't have the chaos. He doesn't bring along all the, all the controversy. And I believe that. I mean, I did. And I still, to some degree, wonder how long, what, what the lifespan of this chaos, of this age or era of chaos. So if you believe that, that Trump is stronger now because people are maybe not embracing the chaos, but they're accepting it as a part of reality. This is where we are. But we have another, no other alternative. So, so the next question, Josh, is I mean, the, the numbers show Trump is chaos, right? We wanted chaos in 16. We wanted it again in 20. We got in 16. We didn't get so much of it in 20. Now inflation, immigration, we thought it would go back to that debate. Uh, Biden's failed on inflation. He's failed on immigration. He's failed on the economy. That's not me saying it. That's 70% of Americans, 68% of Americans saying that loudly and clearly. So, so here would be my point. Are we motivated to be supportive of Trump because Biden has failed, or are we motivated to be supportive of Trump because we believe chaos is the only answer? Or is it both? I mean, is it that we believe Biden has failed and he was never up for the job anyway and see there, see what happens when you, when you, when you overvote in Gwinnett and Fulton County, see what happens when you overvote in Racine and uh, in Philadelphia, see there. I mean, I think that's the natural thing to say. He fails on immigration. He fails on the economy. He fails on, on inflation. Let's put a business guy back in there. But I'm convinced that's not it. I'm convinced the chaos is what motivates. I'm convinced the chaos supersedes the immigration, the inflation. And, and I just never in a million years imagined that that would be the case. Um, and I don't know that I'm right. I mean, I've been wrong a lot in my life. And, but, but something tells me today that Trump can get away with talking about January 6th and the 2020 election more than I ever imagined he could. And we're trying to do somewhat of an evaluation. Why is that the case? Why can he now get more love and adoration from voters when he kind of goes down that, what, what I would argue as a former politician, losing road? Hey, Trump, stay on immigration. Stay on, stay on inflation. Don't go there. But, but it seems to me the electorate are not punishing him 
uh, when he goes there. And I just didn't see that coming. I really and truly uh, did not see that coming. I would imagine another person who didn't see that coming was Ron DeSantis. We talked a lot about DeSantis being a technocrat, um, being a great governor, um, turning a light red state, dark red, and doing it aggressively, kind of in the form of Donald Trump, taking on Disney, taking on um, teachers' unions. Fox News Radio's Eben Brown is in Miami. Eben, uh, the former governor, excuse me, the current governor of Florida has not gained the traction of the presidential trail, but he's still done a remarkable job of conservative governance in a, in a very important state in America. Well, you know, I think that, that kind of sums things up. Uh, if the polls are to be believed in Iowa, uh, Ron DeSantis has really struggled. Uh, now, I said, if the polls are to be believed, there's uh, some concern or belief that these polls are not as all-encompassing as people would like to have them be. Uh, and ultimately, we'll find out on caucus night how well those polls were really uh, predicting things, if they were at all. Uh, and so uh, that that is that. Uh, with regard to uh, Ron DeSantis's performance as governor, uh, if you are a, uh, a dyed-in-the-wool conservative, you would be very happy with Ron, uh, Ron DeSantis's t- uh, term t- or, or tenure as governor. He's uh, you know now into the remainder of his uh, second term, really. Uh, and uh, just yesterday, the Florida legislature opened its legislative session. Uh, the governor returned from Iowa. Uh, to uh, deliver his State of the State speech before heading back to Iowa for his uh, town hall with us at Fox News last night. But um, he advised the legislators to stay the court, saying that that the conservative policies, uh, both on the social end and the fiscal end, have netted some really good results for the state. The state has a budget surplus. The state now outpopulates New York State. Uh, and continues to gain uh, more residents as uh, months go on. And those residents are, are fleeing states like New York and Connecticut and New Jersey and, uh, and Illinois, uh, all known for um, uh, you know, uh, left-wing policies and, and their adhesion to those left-wing policies, even when they demonstrably fail. Uh, and uh, I, I think that uh, a lot of people are certainly, uh, in the state legislature anyway, very happy with Ron DeSantis and uh, continue or plan to continue down the same line without any you know, major changes to the philosophy here. And, Edmund, I think, I mean, who am I, but I think that DeSantis has a chance to remain relevant, even if it doesn't work out this time. Um, I think he has stayed in decent graces with the Trump crowd and they're going to be essential as to whoever picks up the baton, whether it's now or four years from today. I, I think you make a great point. You know, if you if all you do is listen to Donald Trump himself and uh, his social media army, uh, you would think that uh, Ron DeSantis is a, uh, a, a, a an establishment uh, Republican akin to Mitt Romney or John McCain, uh, who uh, has this and that many flaws. I think when you talk to the just the the regular voter, someone who is a conservative and has been uh, um, uh, been enamored with the populism of Donald Trump, they they still like Ron DeSantis. They may want to vote for Donald Trump. They they want to see a second Trump turn, but they have not bought fully into the DeSantis hate uh, that has uh, uh, come out there. And does that bode well for for the future, the political future of Ron DeSantis? Maybe. I mean, look, the, the man is in his mid-40s, uh, which is basically a baby in, in terms of political uh, 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 careers. 
Uh, there's a, a lot of time for him to do something else again. Uh, you have to remember uh, Ronald Reagan had been out of office for a while when he ran for president uh, and was considered a long shot. So, there, And he was much older than 45. So, uh, uh, you know, there, there are plenty of, uh, um, you know, I think there will be plenty of opportunities for Ron DeSantis in the future. He's certainly not going to be jobless. We'll explain. Evan, thank you for your time. Hope you have a great day, sir. You too. That's kind of an interesting, and, and I've said that. Rev and I have kind of agreed there that, um, I mean, Nikki declared her faith, and, and I would imagine it will be a lucrative existence, but it will not be successful at the ballot box. Uh, I don't know how you make that bet today. I don't know how you bet that eventually, once the chaos subsides, Josh, we go back to business as usual. I mean, we're going back to business, but it's not going to be business as usual. Chaos will not be prevalent forever. I mean, it's some, politics has always been a bit paranoia, and, and chaos has always been, you know, a central ingredient in American politics, not like this. And I think DeSantis has done a good job of, you know, um, staying in his position, maintaining his place. Um, I mean, if I'm giving DeSantis advice, I'm not. But if I were, I'd say, hey, let's see how this thing in Iowa plays out. If we underperform, let's get out. And let's endorse Trump. I mean, that, that would be my advice. Ron DeSantis, let's get out of this thing. Let's endorse Trump. Let's accept that the timing was bad. Uh, let's stand on our record in Florida. Let's go back to work and and take on some of the wokeism, some of the political correctness, some of the culture wars that he enjoys and seems to basically thrive on. I mean, that's him at his best when he's doing um, some of that. And, and I think you've taken one potential opponent in 2028 off the playing field by the decision that the Haley campaign made. I mean, I think she's decided that I'm going to be an establishment, you know, donor backed candidate, and that's lucrative. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That is extremely lucrative. And the one thing you don't have to worry about is uh, money to buy television ads. But I think that goes back to the asymmetrical relationship that the donor class has with its, uh, with its voters. And I think DeSantis has managed to stay in, you ready? Decent enough graces with the Trump world and the Republican primary voter in general. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. So am I making sense, Rev? Well, I'm, I'm I mean, trying. I've tried hard. I've tried as hard today, Josh and Rev, as I have in a long, long, long time. I'm a Celsius and two cups of coffee into it, and I still don't know if I've accomplished the mission <laughs> that I set out. You're just talking a little faster, but that's okay, too. But I just want to try to boil it down here. So you're talking about, and we all hear people say that they're tired of the chaos. Oh, I like Trump's policies, but man, just the chaos around him. Just Where's tired me of out? that. Yeah, the people that aren't fully invested, but they do. They do like him. And they certainly think, you know, are you were you better off four years ago than you are now? Those type of questions, of course. Um, but people are tired of the chaos. Yet his poll numbers are high and higher than they've ever been. So explain that. I, mean, that, I think that's where boiling. That's that the question theme down, of today's right? show. Yeah. I mean, it may be the theme of the election. The, the public have said over and over, and you've heard it, and I've heard it. I mean, sure. I've got dear friends of mine who are saying, man, I, I, I like the guy. I think his policies are pro-business. He's a deregulating Republican. I'm not sure where he stands on the social issues, but I'm not that worried about, about that. I mean, Roe v. Wade's been overturned. The states will decide that uh, abortion issue anyway. Um, but I just, I just wish there wasn't so much chaos. I wish it wasn't always crazy and, and controversial when he's around. 
but the polls say something different. And that's the argument I'm trying to make. It's not the argument I'm making. It's the point I'm trying. Why? I mean, why are people saying they don't like the chaos? They're tired of the controversy, but he's more popular now than he's ever been. I've got a theory, Josh, and I think you've nailed it. I think people won't say this, but they kind of want a strong man. I mean, they, they kind of want somebody that they believe will be confrontational, will be matter of fact, will be emphatic in whatever it is he believes in, and will tell you what he believes and, and, and you like it or not. I think there's more of an appetite there. I don't think people like Trump any more than they did. I think people want somebody like that. You, you ready? I mean, we can say this over the air, right? I mean, I think Americans want a badass. We, we think we need one right now. And it may be consciously, maybe subconsciously, maybe direct or indirect, but I just believe that's where we find ourselves. Now, once again, I don't know that I'm right. I don't have any idea whether I'm right or not, but my instinct says, well, I mean, I know I'm right about the poll. I mean, the polls clearly show he's up seven in Michigan. Now, now Politico had to add the caveat. That's hard to believe. I I don't buy that he's up seven in Michigan. Michigan's not a seven. I mean, Michigan's not a plus seven R state. It's just not. I mean, it's far more competitive uh, than that. But but there's a reason that Americans say I'm tired of the chaos, but Trump is more popular than he's ever been. Either the polls are wrong or people just don't want to say honestly and candidly, uh, give me the chaos over inflation (laughs) and a broken immigration system. We'll get into that. Uh, a little bit more tomorrow. When I saw this next guest, Jared Halpern is with us from our nation's capital, and I saw power ratings. I catch, I, I checked it off real quick. I want that because I thought we're talking about Big Ten and SEC football. <laughs> and, and then I find out we're not debating the premier and elite football conference, but rather the latest Fox News power rankings ahead of the Iowa caucus. Jared, good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, listen, I'm happy to talk Clemson if you if you'd prefer. <laughs> yeah, we'd rather talk Gamecocks in this studio, but we have about half right, an audience right. of Gamecocks. My the, apologies. And, and, well, I mean, no, no, no. I don't want to. Uh, I've learned in this in this state when you run for office or have a a job in the public domain, you don't criticize either the Tigers or or the Gamecocks. But we're talking about yeah. Iowa and the and the Iowa caucus. Yeah. Um, we, we we've spent a lot of time talking this morning about the polls and whether to believe the polls or not. The caucus is funky. But but how to frame this going into Iowa, Jared, from your perspective? Well, so what the power rankings do, the, the polls are a factor of it, but what we also are looking at is kind of um, the strength that each candidate has uh, and an ability to perhaps claim, uh, in this case, the Republican nomination. And Donald Trump is still far and away the favorite uh, to do that. His popularity has only increased over the last year, despite the indictments, the court stuff, um, uh, all of uh, kind of the drama that it sometimes uh, surrounds his campaign. Um, it has not done anything to kind of ding his standing uh, amongst the Republican base. Now, where we have seen movement is kind of who is going to be able to claim that second place mantle. If this is ultimately going to become a race between Donald Trump and somebody else, an alternative who is that alternative for the better part of this year that appeared to be Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? He has now fallen to third in our power rankings behind Nikki Haley, the former U.N. ambassador and, and former South Carolina governor. Now, it is still pretty tight between Nikki Haley and, and um, Ron DeSantis, and they are both well behind Donald Trump. Uh, but it shows that if you are especially the DeSantis campaign, uh, I think the stakes become pretty high for Iowa. 
Um, you have to overperform, at least meet expectations, certainly can't underperform. And in part, that is because Nikki Haley is positioned to do much better in New Hampshire than Ron DeSantis is. His polling is not particularly strong uh, in New Hampshire. Hearst's polling is actually surged in New Hampshire, where some polls now have her uh, within striking distance of Donald Trump, at least in a single-digit realm of Donald Trump. And so if she is able to maybe even overperform a little bit in Iowa, carry some of that momentum into uh, New Hampshire, um, you know, I think you just look at the geography and the path and how that would benefit her maybe a little bit more than somebody like Ron DeSantis. Neither one of them have so far shown that they have the ability, at least yet, to overtake the momentum that is uh, Donald Trump's candidacy. Jared, that is so well explained, my man. We really appreciate your time and hope to talk again soon. Thank you very much. Sounds good. That's a, that's a, that's a good explanation. Did he kind of concur? I mean, didn't he agree with what we've offered up as a uh, a proposition this morning that, um you know, you thought people would get tired of the chaos, you thought people would get tired of the controversy? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> they really aren't. I mean, they, they, they're kind of enamored. Um, do they believe it's essential? Do they believe it's necessary? I mean, I can't speak for every voter. I never believed that we would get to a different place. I hesitate to say better because some believe we're headed to a bad place if you let populism reign supreme. But we're going to a different place, but there's no denying but, but that. doesn't it boil down to what it always boils down to, the economy, your pocketbook, you know, I don't those know. sort of things? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would have believed that. Are you better that. off now than you were four years ago? Does it boil down to that? I don't know. It always has. <laughs> I mean, it always has. But but I, I don't know. I mean, have we broken have we broken the way you win elections for good? I mean, I think you've got to put that on the table. Is there a new uh I'll try to Robert, I mean that's, excuse me. Josh, do this for me. See if you can get a hold of Kahaley and um and, and let's see if we can get him on tomorrow. Uh we got a lot of things kicking tomorrow, but but I'd I'd love to get Robert to come on and the polls say this. The public have led us to believe that something's kicking here that doesn't align. I mean, there, there's a, I like to say symmetrical, asymmetrical. That's a bit asymmetrical. We'll continue this um, unknown question or unanswered question tomorrow.